Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. I would not say I'm an audiobook aficionado, though I have a few that I really love. Of course, the, the legendary one is Robert Evans reading right. The Kid Stays in the Picture, which is extraordinary. Oh, yeah. Um, but when I got the audiobook of Catcher in the Rye, I was like, oh, I haven't read Catcher in the Rye for a while. The guy's voice, the first paragraph, I was like, I can't listen to this. Same thing with On the Road. The guy was doing sort of a slangy... I was like, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I don't want to hear that guy's voice in my head. But some of them are great. Like Ron Silver reading The Plot Against America, the Philip Roth book, is extraordinary. Like, it's a real performance. And so they're really fun. Yeah, I've never done it either. When I was on Mad Men, he wanted us to read Cheever. And so I got this audio book of, like... It was like Meryl Streep reading a story. And and I kept, like, making it, because it was a pretty short commute, so I'd make it, like, almost to the end of one story. But not, so then I'd start it again. I never made it past the first story. Oh, man. Like, and that seems to be what would be hard to me about it. Like, because even when I read at night, sometimes I go back a few pages. So I would just keep... I find fiction is hard, but I've listened to a couple of nonfiction books. Yeah, because like, I feel like you can kind of pick it up, and yeah. even if you left off, you'll you'll catch yeah. up. The right There's stuff no plot is great. To follow. That's a really good one. Oh, right. I bet. Oh, Anytime I do the drive to Las Vegas, I just put on the right stuff because really? it's almost the perfect that's length. Right. And you were driving through the country depicted. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. In the book. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Vandenberg Air Force Base and stuff. So it's very evocative. That's a good one. I'm leaving that in. We're recording now. Leaving that in. That's a recommendation. A recommendation from Jeff Greenstein. That's right, guys. We're doing it. Oh, we are, yeah, this is happening now. We can ignore these microphones. Okay. Yay. Oh, we can? All right, I like goody. That. We're just going to turn microphones. Casually. Do I need to care what the device... No, you just... Okay. He's up. like so high-tech with low-tech here. Exactly. It's um, We have the dream team. This is it. You know... You know <laughs> I never know, you know why I'm here. You're Twitter the dream clamored team. for us. Yeah. Twitter? Apparently, yes. There was a clamoring. At least three. I think it was you and you. I clamored for Josh. Is clamor three? Is that like a clutch? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then we tried to fuel it a little bit, and yeah. one more person piped up who was me. Yeah. So. I like it. Uh, thank you guys for being here. I don't even know what here. Twitter is, so. I know. I'm what are sorry you talking for you. about? I'm not on Twitter. We're going to get it. Hold on. Introduce yourselves. All right. And then I want to talk okay, about go Twitter. Ahead. <laughs> Great. Go ahead. Um, Catherine Humphress. Uh, Jeff Greenstein. Josh Friedman. Dream Team. Um, <laughs> so listen, I just came from recording uh, another one of these year-end podcasts. Yeah, um, and you're Wait, the closer. Don't one. worry, you're the closer. Okay, that's fine. An opening act. Um, but we actually started out talking about Twitter, uh, and an interesting conversation arose. Um, uh, Hart Hansen did this thing where he was put on a panel and basically to talk about social media and asked whether social media can take the place of conventional marketing and what role it's playing for trying to sell your television program. Um, I would put it to you guys this way, since Jeff and uh, Josh, you guys are active on Twitter, very active on Twitter. Um, and Catherine, you, you yeah. can't even find the website. I really can't, actually. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where it is. Um, so I'm curious what you guys think about the role of uh, social media, Twitter specifically, but Facebook to a less, lesser extent, in um, a writer's career. Like, can this help us? Can this hurt us? Uh, what, how can we use this tool? Are you talking about in furtherance of one's writing career in terms of booting one up or in terms of... In, in any... Yeah, in, in continuing it, in booting it up, and probably in ending it. That's why I stay away. I'm convinced <laughs> I will end it by saying something 
horrible. But there are guys, like we had Kurt Sutter here the other night. Who He's is, very vigorously active. <laughs> he is on and off. Active. Off and on again. Um, yeah. And it certainly hasn't ended his career? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. I... I I've not, you know, the, working on Mom now is the first time I've been on a television show during the era of Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't really, you know, Desperate Housewives sort of tailed off as Twitter was becoming a key part of the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, marketing strategy for any television show. So I don't think, even though all the individual cast members were on Twitter, I don't think it was ever something where there was a coherent plan of how to market a given episode or so forth via Twitter. So it's interesting to observe how, you know, Anna was wasn't on Twitter before the show, and so she was encouraged by the network to get on Twitter and engage with fans and sort of create that intimate relationship, because I guess there is testing that bears out the fact that if audiences feel that sort of engagement, I think maybe probably with creators, but also with Mm -hmm. actors... It, incur- it makes the show stickier, mm-hmm. right? It makes them more inclined to watch and discuss and bring friends in. I mean, you know, we've talked in this, not necessarily in this room, but on these panels about the idea that, you know, a TV show is a secret club for mm-hmm. its fans. And I think Twitter sort of encourages that sense of a Absolutely. secret club and the sense of, like, this is ours. It's our, like, secret little pad where we hang out, right. we talk about the show and so forth. And so I see that it can be important for that. I think the ways in which it can be uh, a dangerous and seductive trap are equally obvious. Um, You know, it's funny. I got on first on Facebook and then on Twitter really just to keep the writing muscles working during downtime. It kind of encourages me to do stuff and make stuff and share stuff. Something I was thinking of. Yeah, and to be opinionated and things like that. (laughs) Um, But I, I, like I said, this is the first time I've really seen it in action as a component of a show, and it's interesting. So I feel I'm learning about it, too. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's a cancer. Oh, <laughs> great. Tell me. I enjoy it immensely. Uh, <laughs> like one enjoys Like one enjoys sure. cancer um, in that it's a, you know, it's a uh, chronic disease and everybody you know or is connected to it and will probably be for the rest of their lives. Um, I think that, I mean, I think all the reasons that you, you know, I agree with everything you said. I think it is a huge time suck. Yeah, and no I question. think, and but I think that if it, the net, so there's a difference. I think if you have a show on, mm-hmm. it's good to that show to you know poke around on Twitter a little bit, and I'm sure it can't hurt. But if you are a writer at all, I think that it is a very dangerous drug. Yeah, I agree it is with a that. very dangerous drug, and um, both in terms of procrastination. Now, I spend most of my time on Twitter linking to sports stories yeah. and stories about other other writers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use it the way that I, like an RSS feed to a degree. You know, I don't, I mean, even though I'm active, quote unquote, on it, I probably only tweet a couple times a week. I mean, I might go on a little binge, like if I'm lonely, you know, I mean, I, 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 I might, I might binge tweet, you know, 30 or 40 tweets and have a conversation. Um, but that time suck is part, it's part of the, the bad side of this. I mean, but it's also, yeah. this is, and I went back and listened to in anticipation of today, some of the podcasts you guys had done before. This is a part of your process, Josh, Getting from what time I understand. Sucked. Yeah. Yes. Is no, finding I, the things to procrastinate with. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm probably like a lot of writers, but maybe, may, I don't know more so, or lo- but I feel like a lo- I do mm-hmm. uh, have to kind of 
you know, get a ball of self-loathing rolling down a yeah. hill oh, yeah. and get bigger and bigger, and then I jump in front of it, you know, and then after I and then I, I well, go do something about it. He, is he in any way unique in that I don't, regard? I don't I know that, that I Isn't that all, yeah. isn't that yeah. all of yeah. us? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. You can't trust the ones that say anything different. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, there certainly is a boiling point, right? Yeah. It's whether whether it's uh, self-loathing or not, that you have to get to that thing where you have no choice but to do this, and, and that thing is right. Yeah. Now, I don't remember... I'm trying to remember if... La- well, you could tell me, because I, I, if last year, did we talk about the fact that I did basically hurt my career on Twitter? No. I didn't know this at all. Oh, it might have happened right afterwards. It might have. I What's kind it? of binge-tweeted a lot... I believe it was last year. Um, a, my parent, my parents. This is going to sound horrible when I, re, when I say this. Again. My family, my wife and my son, had gone out of town, and I was alone. Oh. And I think I got jacked up on a little too much sugar one morning, <laughs> eating bre- eating breakfast by myself out for like two hours, and I yeah. had my iPad with me. Uh-oh. And I, it was, it was. Um, I started having what I thought was a real conversation with some people on Twitter. It was a real conversation mm-hmm. about about violence in the media. Uh, it was right after the school shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah. so like a year ago. Yeah, that would have been after yeah. the podcast. Right. Um, and people were asking me about, you know, how did I reconcile that with, like, when I did Sarah Connor mm-hmm. and, you know, and there's, you know, and stuff that I work on. And I, it started off very thoughtful. And at some point I said something like, you know, well, you know, I... I tried to do, you know, every a lot of the, the things I've tried to work on recently, like the asset or something, were, were things that I had tried to, you know, talk a lot about violence and sex and mm-hmm. serious things uh, that TV could or couldn't handle. And I said, it wasn't anything Fox was particularly interested in. I said Fox was much more interested in, in you know, making it cool and sexy to murder women and put big posters up, like on the following. And I think that I, um. I linked to, I linked to the billboards that they had up at the time, which I thought were absolutely horrible, you know, yeah. the, the naked woman and the knife. And I said, I just think this is deplorable. I said, now, I don't I, I don't blame them for doing their job. I'm sure the following would get higher ratings than my show. <laughs> and Kevin Riley is completely within his right to do that. I just find it amoral and deplorable and 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 spent some time uh, tweeting about that. Yeah. Um, and I have a complicated relationship with that network. Sure. I used to. Uh, now it's quite clear, um, and it and within uh, you know a week it had gotten back to me that um, I was wow. pretty much persona non grata at uh, at that place, and there are a number of shows that because I had a deal there at twentieth last year, there are a couple shows that I would have been that that the people who had created the shows but weren't going to run them wanted me to run them. Yeah. Hmm. And it was explained to them that I would not be considered value added wow. at the network to get the show on the air. Well, isn't that always the problem with online interactions? Is you forget that uh, you know, even if you if you only have X thousand followers, that millions of people are eavesdropping on your <laughs> per, what you perceive to be an intimate conversation, and that you cannot control the tone or the interpretation. Uh, and, that, and it's always dicey when you choose to engage I, I, I with people. I didn't forget, and I think he interpreted it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is is there a way for a writer who, uh, whether he has some followers or does not, to use this as a tool for good? 
Well, I mean, I think Jane Espenson has done a remarkable job of mm-hmm. leveraging her presence, you know, her fan base, you know, people who love Buffy or Battlestar or now mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time. She is nothing but encouraging. I've never seen Jane say anything that is anything but yeah. positive and supportive. She never snarks about other people's stuff mm-hmm. in the way that I do. Um, um, <laughs> you know, and I think that that is, you know, a wonderful gift that she gives to people, especially people who want to be writers, mm-hmm. you know, and she's all in the way that she did back when she was doing it on janeespenson.com I think it's a wonderful thing that she does her writing sprints and things where she's very encouraging to people Mm -hmm. not all of us are that evolved and I think I mean it involves such a level of self-censorship I think if you if I mean some people you're okay saying what you want to say and and putting it out there and and I you know I'm not on Twitter but I'm on Facebook and and I have, you know, people I haven't seen in 25 years that I went to kindergarten with and the exec that I just worked with and the exec that I'm going to work with next right. week and the showrunner that I'm dying to work for. You know, they're all on there. And so every time I put a post, it's like me sitting down for 20 minutes and saying, like, well, is this funny enough? And is this, mm. I, am I, am I like, being a little snarky but not actually putting anyone's work down? And, you know, and I see my friends on there who will just, like, go off on a particular show. And, and I might, to my friends, mm-hmm. I might also be saying the th- same things about that show, but it's like, oh my god, the exec that put this on the air and the writer of the right. show, and and it's, I just think, for me, I try to be really, really careful, and, and sometimes I wish I could just, like, clear the deck and have like, ten people on Facebook that I could say yeah. whatever I want to, but that's just not the way social media has evolved, I think. Yeah. So, I think, yeah, if you're going to use it as a, as a tool and as publicity, you either have to really sort of be I don't care what I put out there. I'm just going to be completely me. Or you have to really be aware of your audience. And that's why, for me, Facebook is, is enough. Yeah. I mean, if I had my own show, I'd be on Twitter in a second because I think it's a valuable tool. But Interesting. I don't know. I feel like I spend enough time self-promoting, too. You know, like, you spend so much. Self-promoting is not the right word, but networking. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter just seems like i got to open up this can of worms, too. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I mean, there obviously there are writers who have turned their Twitter presence into shows. Yeah, well, into shows or into shows getting that, yeah, hired or getting on show shows. deals. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people. I mean, and I think that that's yet another way to express yourself as a writer. And I guess if you're sufficiently witty or engaging, yes. or you express a point of view that seems sharp or unique, or mm-hmm. you know, I I mean, I'm trying to think who it was, a female stand-up who had a you know probably who had more of a cult file. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not going to get her name right. With Julie Klaus. Julia Klausner, yeah. Yeah, I think she got a deal. She was able to sort of leverage her Twitter presence into a deal because people liked her on Twitter, mm-hmm. and she's very funny and engaging, and maybe she didn't have the profile of some other high-profile stand-ups, but she was funny enough on Twitter that people thought to take a flyer on mm-hmm. her. I think that's great. Do you find... I, this is a question specifically for you, Jeff. You know, having written comedy for so long and having written real sitcoms, like in yeah. the heyday of sitcoms, do you find that Twitter is a different kind of joke writing? Well, it's more like snappy multi-camera half hour, mm-hmm. you know, up, you know, insult put down snark. It's good for that. I mm-hmm. like it. It you know makes me laugh. It's why when you know Splitsider does their rundown of the funniest tweets, typically it's comedy writers. Mm-hmm. It's people who understand that medium, and it's people who can encode a joke into 140 characters, which I find I can't always do. Um, but. Uh, it is the joke craft in a lot of ways, um, and I guess that there are sort of you know meta jokes, you know, like this. Patton Oswalt has been retweeting this Epcot Center <laughs> Twitter feed, which is just sort of a parody of what Epcot would tweet about if mm-hmm. they did tweet and stuff. And I find that stuff really funny, you know. Or people who 
God, there was somebody who was like taking Schopenhauer and Eminem and kind of hybridized, you know, stuff like that, um, and which I find funny. You know, I, it's an it's a sideshow. But it's seductive quality that mm-hmm. Josh has mentioned makes it dangerous. And I always think if I were in a position where I was a writer showrunner, which I haven't been for some time, but I would have just I would have to wall it out. Mm-hmm. Because even when when I was running Will and Grace and this, that was in the internet's infancy as a feedback medium, I was way too hooked on reading boards to see what people thought of us, how we doing, what sure. do people think of me, what do people think of my influence on the show. And I get my feelings hurt really easily. Um, and, of course, one snarky remark way down the comments would outweigh hundreds right. of positive ones. <laughs> and I would have to do what, you know, we were on that panel together when Vince Gilligan talked about it. But you have to just wall it out. Yeah. Um, because it can push you in dangerous directions and give you that dopamine hit that Josh was <laughs> alluding to. It's bad for you. Yeah. That dopamine hit is bad for you because it's a substitute for the, the rush you get from actual writing. Well, I wanted to ask you about this, then we'll, we'll move on, but when you were on Sarah Connor, when you were running Sarah Connor, you know, that certainly the internet was uh, alive then. Maybe not Twitter. Twitter but, wasn't as much. Right. But, um, but, but, the, but, you know. And that's a real genre. But, you know, television without would, pity was like, yeah, I mean, oh, you sure. were on there. I mean, and I, I will, you know, believe me, when the East Coast feed of the show started, I would go on television without pity. And I would look. And, you know, look, part of it is all the bad reasons is ego gratification. It's the perversity. It's picking it's <laughs> yeah. But also, there is a, you know, it is a communication medium, and, and you do want to understand what people understand about the show. And I think that you can read 100 comments, and if you can take the totality of it somehow and metabolize that without, you know, right. picking it one or two here, you can kind of go, okay, people got that, or they didn't like that. Or they didn't. And, you know, on that show, I often was having arguments with the network or the studio about comprehension, you know, because yeah. I, it was a show that was very complicated. Sure. And so I always wanted to know, well, are people getting, cause if, if the people who I want to get it aren't getting it, then maybe it's, then it's on me and not. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and there was value there, but I also felt I, you can get so the tail can wag the dog so quickly. Mm. And I know people and I know there are showrunners out there and I, I, I won't say who they are, but I, who absolutely are letting, a thousand people on Twitter dictate what the writer's right. room is. Mm-hmm. And that's horrible. And I, I, you know, I had an issue with some writers on our show who were a much more kind of, you know, chat room savvy than I was or more into it, you know, and, and I really enjoyed it more. And they were going on into the chat rooms and engaging with fans and answering questions and trying. And I just said to them, oh, wow. I banned them. Yeah. I don't know I that they ever wise. really listened yeah. to me, yeah. but I got, I was like, guys, the show speaks for the show. Mm-hmm. If you want to go in there and lurk around, that's your business. They go, if you even want to go write a blog about what it's like to write on the show, mm-hmm. you're a writer, that's your yeah. business. I said, but don't go speak for the show creatively. Mm-hmm. I like either I will do that, or but most likely, but pr- preferably the show will do that. Well, I, see, I worry about that, that other channel that Twitter operates on because I do think the thing should speak for itself. And there is something admirable about what David Chase did with Sopranos finale, which is air it and run to France. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think there is something great about that because to obsessively deconstruct it in interviews would take the magic away, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I thought that the 
I thought Breaking Bad finessed the availability question uh, toward the end of the run of the show about as well as it can be finessed. But yeah. still, there were th- I didn't want to know about Roads Not Taken. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Tell me that in a year. Yeah. Yeah. You know so, what yeah I'm especially saying? right then. I mean, that is the, the point of doing what we do is supposed to be you put something out there. You don't understand. You understand parts. You bring your own personal experiences into it. You What's in the care? I mean, that's why we write. We write, hopefully, because we want to raise questions and we want to make people think and we want to you know just everyone's going to have their own personal experience and and I remember with the Sopranos finale I'm not a huge I mean I will sometimes read the message words for my own stuff until they got horrible enough and then I stopped and but I I spent like two days of my life on message boards trying to figure out what the fuck the Sopranos finale meant but it was still it was like a pure experience because it was other fans and everyone was that I think is kind of fun I hate it when yeah when the creators get involved or when the fans the fans think that they're somehow part of making the show. It's like, no, we're watching the show. We're taking it in. I love it when I can have a truly great fan experience because that's hard to do when you yeah. when you work in television. And so when I get into a show that I just purely love, I want to keep all that at bay. I just want to watch the show and love the show. And that and I, I feel like that's some of what is disappearing with social media now. And, and you're watching it on, like, I'm a huge Walking Dead fan, and I watched the finale, and there was this, like, the two-screen experience. I was like, what the f- yeah. what is this? Yeah. Like, watch the TV show. <laughs> you do that afterwards if you need to. But And I know this, the studios and networks are encouraging because they're trying to get younger viewers. And I, I just hate the idea that, I'm, to me, if it's great television, that's all you yeah. should be watching. Yeah. And but, you know, I'll tell you something else. I think that there is something. I, I don't want to speak for everybody at this table, but I think writers, I don't think it would be an unfair generalization to say that we tend to be insecure and that we tend to be fraught with worry and anxiety. And I think that we worry sometimes about our place in the world, and there is something incredibly validating about getting the name recognition that a lot of writers, showrunners have now. And I think that that, to go back to what Josh said at the outset, is dangerous. You know, there's that line from Broadcast News, you know, let's never forget, we're the story. And I think that it's a real problem when the showrunners persona and what the showrunner as a mouthpiece for the series somehow eclipses the series itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, it's, we are drawn to it because we love the attention. Who doesn't, right? But I think it's dangerous because, like, you know, you can, in a lot of ways, get, you know, you can cast a shadow across your own work and a shadow that can often be unwelcome. The, this podcast just ate itself. But. <laughs> well, well, I, know, there, there's, I mean, I, I you know, I, you know when, when Sarah Connor got canceled, it got canceled what the fans would think was prematurely. Mm-hmm. It was two seasons, you know, it was 31 episodes. God bless the fans who love it. The fact that they didn't get a season three drives them crazy, you know. And, and look, I knew that I was a good chance it wasn't going to have a season three. I tried to do an ending to season two mm-hmm. that would feel like it was whole, but also leave a you know the possibility of a season. Three. I mean, it was a very you know small needle to kind of mm-hmm. thread, and it satisfied some, and it didn't satisfy most. And if I, on Twitter, I mean, or fan or anytime I'm anywhere and there are fans, I still to this day, it's been a few years. People are like, what were you going to do in season three? What were you going to do in season three? And I had said, and I said when the show ended, I said to every writer, I went to all the writers, and I said, look, I'm asked this question all the time. You're going to get asked this question all the time. I ask you this. Don't talk about it. <laughs> don't ever talk about it. I said, because it will never be enough. It will never be the magic of the That's show. True. I said, I could sit here and tell you them everything that I thought I was going to do. First of all, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing it because you're going to end up right. by episode right. three. You're off in a yeah. completely different direction. I said, but but I said, I really, I don't even, I feel like the show is the show. I said, even my interpretation of the show 
and what I think it is is not canonical. Like yeah. the show is the, is canonical, and 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 I also think people's dialogue with the show is important, and the way that they what they how the blanks that they fill in, and the things that they find, and are those that that makes it a living document that I think is is much more valuable than hearing what yeah. bullshit like answer I'm going to give you so that you'll stop asking me the question. I'll never forget when I went to see, uh, I saw Do the Right Thing the weekend it opened. And uh, and when I saw the film, I thought it was this masterfully balanced portrait of these two factions who were vying for control of this neighborhood. And I came away thinking how interesting it was that Spike Lee had made this morally ambiguous film where nobody was right and nobody was wrong. And I thought it was so beautifully portrayed and I really at the time thought it was his best film and then I saw him on the Today Show Monday morning saying he totally sided with the rioters <laughs> just unambiguously saying this is a film about those are my people I believe in those people I believe they were right I believe the white guys are wrong it's like it ruined the film for me. I don't want to know that I mean as you said, it's a living document, and what I brought to the piece maybe was what the filmmaker took, maybe wasn't. Mm-hmm. But I took away something very different from what the filmmaker intended that I found very rich and nuanced. But it turned out the filmmaker himself didn't want it to be rich and nuanced. So that made me think, am I interpreting it wrong? Is he not as good an artist as I thought he was? You know, it kind of clouded everything. And so I think you were wise. Two, two quick things. Up. I think I remember uh, David Chase saying something to that effect, which was when people would ask him about the ending, he would say, I have my interpretation of what it means. And if I were to explain it to you, you wouldn't be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want it to be whatever you want it to be. And I, and he's so smart to keep yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, secondly, what do you think is Spike Lee's best film? Well, I, and you know, it's it's funny. I was he's so fallen in my estimation, both as a man and as a filmmaker, over the years. I know I had to see old. Um, and it's funny because I went back and watched uh, "She's Got to Have It" recently mm-hmm. because that film really had a huge effect on me when I saw it in college because it felt like the vanguard of the independent cinema and it was so beautifully made and and uh, and it's still great. And I would I would say actually I think that is his greatest and most important film for the way in which it kind of gave voice to you know at that point what looked like a really interesting voice in American cinema that wasn't represented there were no characters like that you know <laughs> to tell a romantic comedy about a young black girl who just likes to fuck that was a really interesting kind of story at that time so I think it's his most important movie he's not a, he's never been to me the most technically assured filmmaker. Or really the most uh, nuanced or, you know, he doesn't have a lot of nuance or finesse as a writer either. Um, but I was really taken in by Do the Right Thing when I saw it. It'd be interesting to go back and see it again. I'd be curious about what you think. See what Next I think year. Of it. Yes. Um, let's move off of this topic uh, and let's catch up, you guys. Uh, Catherine, when last we left you, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you were finishing up Mob Doctor? Probably. I believe um, that yep. was the case. Yep. <laughs> Everyone else knows. Yeah, no, I've had. I, 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 I. Every time that I come, I've had like five jobs. So, <laughs> um, I just, I, I, I finished Mob Doctor. I was on Elementary um, for uh, basically the year in between, and then today I just started on Under the Dome. Yeah, yeah. congratulations. Uh, it was like, I mean, it's, it was the first day, but it was, it just felt really great, really awesome, um, and like. My last Facebook post was that I have been promised I get to meet Steven Spielberg, um, which is like, 
obviously met Steven Spielberg, but I, I wow. like, like that's Is he the worst or what? Well, I haven't met him yet. Oh, okay. It's just a dream. Uh, no, we're, we're supposedly gonna. It, it, it seems like a very collaborative, like really cool group of people. Um, the writers' room was literally just first of all uh, ten minutes from my house, so it's a dream job. And uh, the writers' room is just chairs. There's no table. I've never been in a room like what? that before. Oh. Um, we just hang out in comfy chairs. What and, do you What uh, do you fidget with? We didn't fidget a lot today. We were pretty engaged. Huh. Um, yeah, there weren't really toys or anything. It was the first day. Everyone was yeah, on very right. good behavior. Of course. Um, but, no, it's, it seems really collaborative, and we're going to all get to go in and pitch to S- S- Mr. Spielberg, and then we'll all go pitch to the C- people at CBS. And I, I, I'm just excited because it's, it's, I mean, it's a great show, and I, I think to be in a collaborative, I've been in a lot of different environments. The, mm-hmm. the last environment I was in was much more sort of the, the showrunners ran the train and, and it was independent study and that is not that is not sort of my preferred working mm-hmm. um, and you, environment. And you really have done both. I mean, as yeah. we've checked in with you over the years, it's, you know, we talked about Supernatural early on and Mad Men, which... Mad Men was a lot of room, yeah, yeah, and Supernatural was very independent study. Yeah, and, and then, but you do prefer the room. Yeah, and you know, Elementary, uh, a friend of mine uh, created the show, Rob Doherty, he's a brilliant writer, great guy, um, and it was sort of like, I came on uh, first season as a consulting producer, and, was, and I, I, I kind of knew how he was going to run it, and I thought, well, but he's my friend, and I love the show, and he's so talented, <laughs> and let's see how this goes, and... And um, I think at the end of the day, like, I just love working with other writers. I love I love doing all of it, too. I mean, what was so cool about today is that, I mean, we spent probably an hour sort of talking about here's all of our different actors and here's how production works and here, you know, it's like every writer does everything there. You, you work together in a group, you talk on the notes calls, you go and produce, I mean, again, hopefully this is all going to really happen, but, you know, you go and produce your episodes, you, you work in editing and, and that is why I love television is to do all of those things and a, and a show like Elementary is very much like they want everyone um, just working on, you work on an episode, you write the episode you go work on the next episode mm-hmm. and it works great for rob and craig that's how right. they do things but for me i think this is going to be a hopefully a good place to be and um and it sounds cliche and everyone says this but like i was that kid who like et was the first movie i ever saw in a theater <sighs> like oh my i mean I, I i remember dragging my parents to go back to see it a second time and like <laughs> we were not we're like we're gonna pay four dollars for a ticket for everyone who's in the theater and you're not eating popcorn and but i just i love that was like i i was gertie you know she was i was yeah. like i you know i i couldn't even put myself in elliot's shoes like i hadn't wasn't that advanced but um he was the guy that that made me go like oh my god i could write a world That's like awesome. this and so i think just to sit in a room with him and like not speak and stare at him with my mouth open will be really cool. So I'm very excited, and I've been really lucky. It's been a really nice, it's been really nice the last uh, couple of years because I've worked a lot, and I, I I bounced around so much in my career, and I always thought that was a negative. And the last couple of years, I've realized it's a, such a positive because I've met so many people, yeah. I've worked in so many rooms. It was really nice today to walk in and feel like, oh no, I'm comfortable doing that. Yeah, this is what I do. This is cool. This is going to be fun as opposed to. The sort of terror that used to come. So yeah, when last we talked, you were you were talking about how you know you you go on these meetings, the staffing meetings, and you don't necessarily get that job, but maybe next year with whether it's the executive, the showrunner, or yeah. whatever, or you're meeting someone that you had met before, and so it's like an old friend. It's an easy meeting to walk into. Um, was that was that the feeling this year as you were looking for a, a staff job? Yeah, I mean, it's I had. 
I had an amazing experience, which is when I came off of elementary, I, I actually, I, I was fielding a few different offers and I was really lucky and, and it was sort of this like big moment for me to, to like really had a bunch of talks with my agents where I was like, okay, maybe this thing is not a fluke. Like maybe, cause I don't I, you guys, I think had maybe different experiences. I mean, you had a similar experience, I think in those first few years of like, you're begging people to hire you're yeah. begging to go you know like you're going on meetings and I mean I had so many courtesy meetings where it was like they'd get canceled the last second and I'd be so excited and then it would go away and I talk to young writers every day that this is the space that they're in and I think to make that switch from me feeling like oh wow they're barely letting me in the room to have this meeting to the place of sort of like no these different people want you to come and work for them. I mean, a dear friend tonight emailed me right before I left and was like, are you available? Cause I might be starting something. And, and it's just like, those are things that five years ago I couldn't have fathomed. Sure. So I feel really, really grateful. And, um, and yeah, actually under the dome, I don't think they'd care if I said this. I actually met on it last year. It didn't end up working out, met again this year. And, um, and it, it, I think, I think everything in that sense worked out correctly. You know, I think it's it's great that I'm going on it this year, and I, I just feel incredibly lucky, and, and I'm excited, too. Uh, I, I think I'm getting very close to starting to... I mean, the goal is later this year I'll go out and pitch my own material, right. and I think it's time for me to do that, and... Good. Uh, yeah, I feel very lucky. Good. I, I have a few more questions, but I want to I want to catch up so with cool. Jeff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, where have you been this past year? When did we talk last? <laughs> Last year. Was yeah, it exactly it was last year? Was it this, oh, um, no, because he wasn't here for oh, around no, he this wasn't time. Here, right, right, we had Miller. Oh, it was yeah. Miller. What? I think the last time the podcast audience heard from you, you were just back from London having... Oh, okay. Uh, uh, the Bob Show. Way to go. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it was... Yeah, that was about... That was exactly a year ago, yeah. actually. So that kind of got things rolling for you. It did. Well, you know, I two things were happening around that time. I was... Yeah, I was about to... I, I directed that, which was, and I had just actually that we just aired it recently. I had just finished shooting season three of Husbands, Jane's oh, show, right. yeah. um, which just unspool in August, um, and I uh, was getting ready to go to England to do that. And I was writing a pilot, uh, one hour for Showtime, um, and uh, it will probably not surprise you, given the pace of cable development, that it's still on Simmer. I can't believe that. Um, yeah, I totally it's, believe that. It's, um, <laughs> I'll tell you, I, it's a script that I absolutely love and yeah. something that I really believe in and I just think that uh, I'm going to get it made somehow. I just got to figure out how. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I did write that. That was the first thing I did after I saw you last and I really felt that it was a signal piece for me just in terms of my development as a writer. I felt it was something that was a really mature, interesting complicated big canvas honestly I've never written a feature um, and it was the first time having written this thing that I thought I kind of my, had my hands around something that had the scale of a movie um, so I felt really really good about that but I've been sort of coasting on that uh, from a writing standpoint um, but you not, were kind of working on a couple of things around yeah and I still time. am some of those things are still percolating yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a thing I started writing kind of on spec over the summer that I'm still working on there's okay. a couple of things that I'm developing primarily for cable I got something that's in negotiations right now at a cable network that I'm hoping to get going uh, one thing that I'm supervising so I got all these things that are sort of nursing along from mm-hmm. a writing standpoint but, uh, is that is that satisfying for you? I mean, obviously the Showtime thing has taken a long time, but yes. to have all of these irons and fires, it's it's difficult because I like to make stuff, mm-hmm. and that's a nice segue to what I actually have been doing. Um, you know, 
toward the spring, I started working with, uh, I got a call from Chuck Lorre, with whom I shared an agent for many, many years, about the prospect of writing something together. Um, and uh, we started working on something together that we've been writing uh, for several months. And during that process, he was developing Mom with Eddie Gordetsky and Gemma Baker mm -hmm. um, and uh, asked me to read the script, which I thought was an exemplary pilot script, and told me he got Anna Ferris for it, told me he got Alice and Janney for it. So I sort of watched this thing come together, and he asked me, because we've been working really closely and I've been really enjoying it, he asked me to be part of the punch-up room for that show, right. which I enjoyed a lot. Let's, I don't know that we've talked very much about punch-up rooms yeah. on this podcast. Uh, tell, tell folks what it is. Have you guys ever, I mean, you guys are primarily Primarily drama writers, so you probably haven't taken part in this. It's become more formalized over the years. It used yeah. to be something that where it was like, well, if you're doing a multi, particularly if you're doing a multi-camera where you have like a room where you, you will you will have a a punch-up room in series, so you would rally a couple of your comedy writer friends, and I mean it would always be you'd buy them an iPod or something <laughs> in exchange for like five days of work, and they'd be sort of your guys and gals who would go to run-throughs with you and kind of help with jokes and help with the rewrite because it is compressed in the same way that the multi-camera week is. Press, so it's nice to have a couple of bodies around. It's become much more formalized, and it has become uh, rather, um, you know, pro forma that writers who are on deals at a studio are kind of deployed to pilots. I didn't realize that. And uh, this even happened to me when I was with 20th. I was deployed to a Steve Levitan pilot. I'd never met Steve before, so it was kind of weird, but I got the call, like, you're going to be showing up on Stark Raving Mad mm -hmm. to help out in that punch-up room. And I thought that was kind of odd because at that time it was kind of like, well... If Steve called me up and said, I want you to be part of the room, I would do it, but it was weird. Yeah. But I think that happens more and more now is that it's kind of the showrunner who has gotten a pilot picked up will be get a list of, like, here's who we have on deals. Is there anybody you want in that room? Hmm. Um, so Chuck, of course, has an enormous number of comedy writers at his disposal uh, between the three shows that he had. So he used some of those people. He used a couple of people that he was interested in trying out as possible nice. staff writers. And then there was me. And, uh, <laughs> and I had never worked in a room with Chuck before. So uh, it was really interesting to see what his process was and so forth. Anyway, I'm trying to speed this up. I really enjoyed it. And mm -hmm. I think he enjoyed me and enjoyed my take on the series. And I think, you know, I really loved that pilot because I thought that it was an interesting exploration of... You know these these broken characters, issues of recovery, issues of healing. I just thought it was a and it was about working class people, and I just there were so many things about the show that I thought were really interesting and that I connected with. Mm -hmm. And so there was a certain point where it looked like you know I was flirting with the idea of like you know would I consult on this thing or something, but I had you know I kind of swore I would never go back to multi camera as a writer after Will and Grace, and so I was kind of like I'm done with that. I don't know if I could do it again. So he actually asked me if I would be interested in directing one um, and I had never directed multi-camera before actually you know obviously yeah. I had been you know from the writer showrunner chair had made hundreds of episodes of multi-camera but it never directed and uh, um, and honestly had never really observed that process at close range except during the making of a pilot because as you may know you're in the writer's room when they're rehearsing mm -hmm. so you don't really see sure. how the sausage is made and if you have a director like James Burroughs who I did for over half of the episodes of television I've made, um, you don't really worry about it so right. much. He's so masterful and so adept that you get fantastic run-throughs, and you know that if there are problems with the show, it's problem. The problems are not with the director. So I gave myself a crash course 
um, because it is very different from single camera directing, which I had done some of over the last couple of years. Um, and I did a pretty good job on my first one. And they asked if I wanted to do a couple more. And I did a pretty good job. And then they asked if I wanted to do a couple more. And I've done five. And then I was just, I just signed on to do four more. That's fantastic. Uh, so by the end of the season, I'll have done nine of them. And uh, I will tell you, it's been a great uh, journey of discovery for me. I mean, I love the cast. I mean, you can't ask, end to end this mm-hmm. cast, French Stewart, Nate Cordry, you know, I mean, you know, the, the supporting players on the show mm-hmm. are brilliant. Everybody, Sadie The Cavana, nine cats. I, the, I had to, yes, thank you for. He, he herds they, cats, master I, I thank man. you for saying that. I, yes, the last episode that I directed, which aired last Monday, I directed nine cats. Oh, come um, but uh, I got, to, I'm, you know, the thing that's fun about it is, is I've always enjoyed collaboration. You've heard me talk about this on panels before. And the, the intimate collaboration with the actors and hmm. with the writers and being sort of the person who gets to have a foot in all those different processes and working with a camera crew and mobilizing four cameras simultaneously, which is very new to me, um, and helping with the comedy and helping the actors feel like it's a safe place to try stuff and so forth. It's been an incredibly joyful and uh, enlightening experience and something that when I saw you a year ago I never dreamed that's what 2013 would be about for me was my journey into multi-camera direction but it's been great and I've learned so much and um this is going to sound like an odd comparison, but you know, like there's that point in Apocalypse Now when he's going through Kurtz's dossier, and he, and Kurtz goes back to flight school at 33, and Marlo's going, "Why the fuck would he do that?" I feel like this is going back to flight school for me. You know, it's yeah, like right. I'm learning so much. There's some of the I have some of the tools. I know a little bit about storytelling. I'm kind of a 12th man for the writer's room. You know, I can pitch a joke. Sure. They don't mind that. If I'm having problems with a scene and I think the problems are in the writing, I can go back to the room and... Kick, and they kick, respond. Kick, and they like that. Yeah, that's great. And um, and so, you know, it's it's a I would say it's a mutually respectful and nourishing process, and I'm enjoying it a lot. And so, like I said, I'm going to do a bunch more, and that's going to be fun. That's fantastic. The other thing that's happening is that an old pilot that I wrote, which you probably heard me talk about in the past, um, it's called The Rich Inner Life of Penelope Cloud, the one that Marissa Tomei starred yes. in when I made it for CBS. Um, I am in negotiations to do it for a a British broadcasting corporation. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to London in a couple of weeks in furtherance of that. And a, That's and a crazy. big British actress wants to do it. And That's I'm awesome. kind of excited about Judy that. Judy Dench? I can't tell you. But? But it's like it's somebody, it's somebody kind of like... Like one of my comedy heroes, so That's it's kind of thrilling. Awesome. So I'm going over there in a couple of weeks. Did this come out of the Chriselle experience? Like, did you meet these people sideways? There? Okay. I mean, the way one of the the godfather of the whole Chriselle experience mm-hmm. was uh, a guy I met, John Plowman, who was head of comedy at the BBC for many years, and who I became friendly with when he visited the set of Will and Grace. <laughs> He's the guy. He was executive producer of The Office and absolutely fabulous, and so many great, great British shows. And now has an independent production deal with the studio, and he was the one who read Way to Go and oh, got the okay. BBC to produce it. Which was a sort of a similar story, as yes, I recall. Yes, like exactly. Wrote, years wrote ago. a pilot on spec yeah. and so forth. Penelope Cloud was a script that actually John was in the punch-up room for. Wow. He happened to be in L.A. when I was making the pilot, and I said, do you want to try it? And he did. So he was around at the, at the creation Actually, of what turned out to be a very bad version of the script that I wrote. Because <laughs> I kind of fucked up that week. I didn't really do a good job of managing that wow. pilot week. But the initial script is a script I'm really proud of. And so John said, let's see if we can get this thing made in the UK. And it looks like 
that may occur. That's so I'm fantastic. going to London in a couple of weeks. Congratulations! I, I love that this has sort of become an option. It's yeah, more and more a thing really that can awesome. happen. Yeah, yeah. and and that what's really nice is that you know we've all been through like you write a beautiful pilot like Josh did last year wrote a yeah. number of beautiful pilots and there's this weird sense in which like it expires mm-hmm. and then it's over and you're not allowed to touch it again mm-hmm. which is really peculiar um, and it's really gratifying for me that this thing I wrote in like 2007 which I've always believed in is now going to have a second life because it shouldn't be dead nobody ever saw it right. nobody knows exactly. what this thing yeah. is and it's still a good script yeah. and so that makes me happy that's like, great, and, and so, yeah. So that's a good. Congrats. So that's, that's the long answer to the short. No, that's that's <laughs> great, uh, yeah, and, and I want to hear more about that as, sure, sure. as it uh, as it happens. Josh, yes. Where have you been? How have you been? <laughs> I've just been uh, <laughs> listening to Jeff. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so. Uh. Um, how how has your year been? What uh, what happened with you during? Uh, let's see. I think when we when last we spoke. Uh, the asset was not picked up, unfortunately. <sighs> unfortunately, uh, again, for me especially. I will say again, it was a great script. It was great a great script. pilot, but a phenomenal script. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you were kind of sitting with your deal, right? At twentieth. Yeah. Right, at twentieth. <laughs> that twentieth um, and I had a, uh, a. That went away. <laughs> that went away. Um, that went away for a number of reasons, which I wouldn't get into. I won't. I won't get into. It actually wasn't. A, everything went away on good terms, mm-hmm. um, and I ended up uh, with a deal at Universal. Were you a, a free agent for a while, or was no. it pretty seamless? Yes, it was okay. seamless. There was a yeah. There, I don't even know if there was a seam. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If there, it was. Uh, um, yeah, we didn't really talk to anybody else. You know, I knew some of the people at Universal, and it mm-hmm. was just sort of, it was a segue, I would mm-hmm. call it, more than anything else. And and is the idea the, pretty much the same as you had you know, anywhere where you're going and pitching them stuff? Yeah, same uh, thing. Were they going to put you on a show also? They did put me on a show. Let's they put talk, me on a show. Uh, it's been, a, it's, they put me on a show, and honestly, it's it's been great because... Uh, I haven't had to do a whole lot. Um, it's a low impact show. For it's a low you. impact show for me. Uh, it's not for the creator right. uh, Neil Cross, uh, who was a friend of mine who I had supervised uh, at twentieth a couple of years ago. Neil created Luther and is a genius. I mean, he's one of the best writers. I've... I forgot you guys had that relationship. Yeah, right? I, yeah. yeah he, cool. had, he had a deal at twentieth to write a couple scripts, and he wanted to work with me. And weirdly, he he knows me. Through my blog, which he used to read, because he's from mm. New, he's British, but he lives in New Zealand, and he was a novelist, and he mm-hmm. he said that almost everything he learned about Hollywood to learn from me and John August wow. uh, from reading our blogs, and so when he came over here and was kind of making the rounds uh, to meet people and see where he went, he says, "I want to meet with Josh Friedman because uh, I great. feel like I know him, and I hope you know, <laughs> and and, and uh, everything I you know know or don't know about the business I'm gonna is is him." That's so we ended up working together based on that. And the script he wrote, which was phenomenal, actually, mm-hmm. um, was actually called Moriarty. Ah, uh, was the no way. Before, yeah, and yeah. it's fantastic. Was this in 2012? Uh, it was the it was two years ago, okay. two year, three years ago. Mm. Oh, all right, no, two years ago, two years ago. Um, uh, it was it was a great script. I mean, he's a great writer, and I'm he sorry. but he ended up with a deal at Universal. Uh, and they um, to do this John Malkovich pirate, Blackbeard pirate show called Crossbones, which is to his disgrace because he can't stand that it's Neil Cross right? right. Crossbones, <laughs> and his, he keeps trying to come up with other titles, and frankly, and they won't let him change the title, and, his, and he's just he's humiliated by the fact that it's, that, it's yep. that. Um, 
So they, you know, they asked me, um, part of the thing was he'd had a number of writers and some things that happened in the writer's room and he had had to leave and go to do Luther and things, uh, festered in the room while he was gone due to various forces. And, uh, when he came back, the room was dissolved. Um, and he asked, he, and he had said to them, well, you know, he was doing it at a 10 episode order and they said, what do you want? He goes, just get me Josh, get him out of his 20th deal, Hmm. which they didn't get me. I was in the process. It was convenient. It was convenient, but no, but it was convenient. I had a landing spot kind of, you know, place that I was interested in going when things fell apart at 20th. Um, we were renegotiating. And, uh, so I went over to Crossbones, um, and Neil again is very independent because he Luther he just does by himself in New Zealand. Yeah. He ships him over to Great Britain. He's I mean in that way he's fantastic. He had and he had broken a lot of the season before with the old writers' room. So there was me, and then there was kind of one guy who was left over um, who was writing a couple. And so Neil came over and we kind of broke what was left of the season um, in my office at Universal. And then he went back to New Zealand and. I think I wrote a couple scripts, and I wrote one episode, mm-hmm. um, and I handed the script in. I've never gotten a call or notes or anything about wow. it. Uh, they just um, say they're very good nice. or very bad. They, they, yeah. And Neil sent me an email. Said, yeah, everyone likes it. Yeah, I know because everyone That's likes hilarious. it. I was nice. like, okay, but like the studio never called, and no one ever called. Oh, all right, fine. I'll just go about my business. Yeah. So that's the entirety of that. Of that. That's so crazy. Um, and then I'm supervising uh, another writer on, um, you know, a drama or mm-hmm. a big kind of genre thing, um, which, and he's also quite a grown up and adult and, and, you know, he's <clears throat> a great guy. And, you know, so that, that, that's my time, you know, that's only really a few hours a week, you know, talking, you know, and I have a very sort of, I don't want to say hands off approach to supervising, but I mean, it's just like, you know, if you're an adult, you do it and mm-hmm. I'm here yeah. for you to help you. You know, if you have questions, and I'll be there on the notes calls, and we'll have conversations, and I'm just your hard external hard drive, and whatever you want to yeah. put there, you put there, and um, that's great. And did the, you did you take any of your own stuff out for the selling season, or were you yes. tied up? No. So I also sold. So I sold a pitch to NBC mm-hmm. uh, that I'm um, is due. I think uh, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Every uh, time we see you, yeah. you're supposed I, to be writing. I think it's true. due tomorrow. I can't remember. I talked to my assistant this morning. I said, there's a date circled on the whiteboard in my office at Universal. I'm like, yeah. what is that? Is that the 10th? <laughs> is that the date? And she said, oh that God. is the day that you said you were going to give it to the studio. Yes. I said, well, that is not going to happen. <laughs> I said, that script is not done. <laughs> They don't write themselves, you know. We need someone to do this. We need someone to do this. So I have a script that is um, living somewhere in Act 6. Yeah. No, it's not bad. I mean, granted, Um, you know. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah. I'm particularly curious to hear about how you pitched it. (laughs) I pitched it in a way that I've never pitched before. Really? Actually, so... How's that? You know, I don't mind pitching. It's fine. It's fine. Um... I'm, you know, done it. You know, I've got a pretty good track record of, of pitching my own stuff and selling it, and so it, it doesn't it doesn't bother me to do it that way. But I also um, this particular uh, idea was sort of it was complicated, and I and a big idea, and I wanted to just have a conversation about it is what I really wanted to do. Now I said saying that I still ended up preparing 
kind of yeah. as if I was pitching. But mm-hmm. what I said, what I said to the studio was, "Can I just have lunch with the NBC people?" Yeah, you know. And I said, I, and I, I, Jen Salky is someone I know from Twentieth. And I said, "Can Jen and I just have lunch? We had lunch a month ago. We weren't even talking about it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like we we've done that. Yeah. You know, we talk about our children. Can we just have lunch?" And they said, "Well, that, that seems like a reasonable idea." I mean, I thought if I can just sit with her, yeah, I'll talk mm-hmm. her through it because it's a you know, it's That's it's fantastic. it's got things. They said, "Yeah, great." So. Then they called me and said, okay, lunch is set. So it's going to be Jen and you. I went, okay. They went, and then obviously, you know, someone from the studio uh, needs uh, to be there because, well, of course. And I went, yeah. And he goes, and probably, you know, the other person in the drama department at NBC needs to be there. I went, so it's going to be basically a pitch, but with me, with food in my mouth. <laughs> and they're like, this is what you want to do. And so that's oh, what I did. And, the, and we're going to do it at the commissary where everyone uh, can see it happen. Nice. Oh, man. <laughs> and a public display. A public display. But the tonality. Did you get the tonality you wanted? I got, uh, yeah, I did get a little more. I, it was it was harder than I th- hoped it would be because yeah. I did end up having to do a whole lot. And really, I'm not making this up, the mechanics of trying to eat. And I and because, <laughs> no, I, yes. because I wasn't like, I'm just going to order a fucking bowl of tomato soup. I'm like, I'm going to have the chicken and I'm going to have the shrimp cocktail and I mean it's like other people are paying I'm having a fucking shrimp cocktail and I'm having whatever I want and, but then I'm like you can't eat chicken no and pitch and I realized at some point like why new is, writers please remember this please remember you can't have the fruit bowl the fruit bowl sure the fruit bowl you can do a soup you can maybe get away yeah, with maybe I don't know I, maybe Blackberries. Blackberries. Like Blackberry and then move oatmeal. on. Oatmeal. I have any breakfast meeting oatmeal. oatmeal. Really? Yeah. That seems No, like you just hard. take a bite here and there right. when they're That's talking. True. It's fine. Right. Hitching. And so at times, I would be sitting there and I would put a bite in my mouth and I would start chewing and the table would go silent. And I, think, and I was like, oh, right, because I'm in act three and now I'm hungry and they're waiting. Yeah. So... Oh, it for was God's so, so for so I didn't get to finish the chickens. So that sucked, <laughs> and and I just it's so it, it, and at the end of it, also I think because it was sort of a casual, you know, and part of this I think is due to, I, I don't know if it's because they know me and it's it, we are comfortable, and because I'm in a deal, and it doesn't cost NBC any more money to say yes than to say no. I frankly, as my suspicion, uh, is at the end they just go, yeah, why don't you go write that. Like, All right. and I walked out with the Universal guy, and I was like, what? "That just didn't feel as good as I wanted it to feel." You know, I was like, it, "I was like, oh, you sold it in the meal, you know, but it didn't feel like." But you it made it casual. Yeah. See, I know that yeah. was my fault. Yeah. I made it casual, and I got casual back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, and then so, and so, I'm like, "Do they care? Or do they even care? Do they even really know what I did? Or are they really just watching right. the chicken?" Yeah, I was like, "I don't know." Did you pitch them uh, an entire pilot? It was a blur, but I, okay. I, um, yeah. I mean, I did pitch them a lot. I mean, so I, it I, really is what you would have done formally. It is. It was very similar to what I would have done formally, but I. It did allow. It, it was interesting. It did allow for a little more crosstalk okay. and a little looser. And um, you know, I bounced around probably ways I normally yeah. I wouldn't. It, it does, and I, um, which normally I try not to do because I'm very digressive. Like I, if I'm off leash, I'm a dangerous person, as we've seen on some of these <laughs> podcasts. Like I, I so um, I've tried to come in with, and I had pages. You know, I mean, like I yeah. actually brought pages, but sure. also I don't know where. By the way, where do the pages go? Because they Absolutely. can't go in front of you yeah, because that's where your food is. Yeah. Right. It was, it was, you know, it, it didn't exactly work out, but it worked out. 
That's really funny. Right. So, That's good. Uh, can you tell us what the concept is? Um, are you allowed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Are you look comfortable. Given my track record the last couple of years of these talking about my pilots here, this may be the only airing of my pilot. So you know, we don't know. This could be it. I might, I might, you know, do the whole pilot. Um, it is a time travel show that I, I, I can best describe as it's really it's called right now called the Lighthouse, and it's about sort of a um, a residential hotel slash halfway house for wayward time travelers. Awesome. So if you're I a time traveler yeah. who uh, kind of gets lost in time, uh, you many of them end up uh, living in this uh, in this hotel together and trying to figure out their lives or their way back. Very That's cool. Fantastic. So it's it's actually That's kind nice. of a high concept soap. Yeah. Is yeah. what I've tried. That's Neat. something I've never tried to do before, and I keep I keep saying to my assistant, I'm like. God, there's a lot of fucking people talking, <laughs> and and a lot to each other. And where are the yeah. robots? Like, where are yeah. the robots? And and she's like, "You sold a soap. This is what happens in yeah, soaps. People talk do. to each other and they confess their backstories." Yeah. Sure. And I went, "Oh, okay." So, um, was the story more difficult to break because of that? You couldn't rely on some of the genre tropes that you've used in the past. Um, I find myself trying to get them in and then I and then I try to dial back and I mm-hmm. say, you know, and I it, no, it is harder to modulate because I, I'm really am trying to do something that's very character based and, and kind of lighter in, in story, but then you hmm. get a story and it's I mean, you know, I mean yeah. Parenthood has stories. Yeah. You know? I mean like mm-hmm. they have, story. have to have stories. They have yeah. stories, they have arcs, you know, so but they're but you know, yeah, it's it's that's it's more challenging in other in other ways, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember when we would put cards on the board on Parenthood. A, a big scene would be, you know, um, you know, Hattie can't tell her mom that she's upset. Yeah, right. That, that's how Mad Men was too. Yeah. You know, it was just all like Betty writes a letter. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah exactly. But, I mean, yeah. it's it's great when you're in that, but it's I find when I'm trying to do my own stuff, that's harder now because I've spent mm. so much time in network and like, um, what's the Act One break? What's the Act Two break? And right. I struggle a lot now when I'm just trying to go off on my own and just write character stuff, mm-hmm. like with the balance between story and yeah. so it's it's. I mean, this is so. This is like a master class in pitching for me. Like, I'm not going to order chicken. <laughs> Don't order chicken. Yeah. But I, which, by the way, I was did not know how I was going to pitch it because it's an ensemble. It's an ensemble show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it had like five or six characters, and I was going to bring in kind of a, a, you know, like five or six characters, and obviously a time travel show. You know, you have to bring in a new time. You know, you have to do the new kid in the yeah. hotel story. You have to bring in a time traveler, right? So, but I just didn't want it to be time traveler of the week. I really wanted it to be about the people who work at the hotel. And you know, people come in and people go out, and and but it's really the soap of the these all these displaced persons that are living together and kind of forming this community, and and I was so determined it was that, and I was pitching it to uh, a friend of the program, Michael Green, mm-hmm. who always uh, is very helpful, and he and I, like two days before the pitch, and I was thinking, he goes. Dude, you can't pitch an ensemble show like an ensemble show. I was like, "What do you mean I can't?" I was like, "I am. I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna do." He goes, "No, no, no. You just got to pitch it from the new dude." You know, it's like yeah, you just got to pitch from the new that dude. Makes sense. And I went, but then it's gonna be. He goes, "Just pitch it from the new dude. Yeah. Just do it." He goes, right. "Just don't worry." And then go do whatever you're gonna do because but you have to. Did the pitch become easier once you? Yeah, it did. It became about sort like, of walking them through. And then it's then yeah. you, and it's like if you're gonna do it, do it. Like like don't make it harder on yourself. Like if you know enough to know, I'm gonna do a new. You know, kid on the block story. Yeah. Don't then the fucking bitch yeah, the new kid on the block story. Yep. Don't run away from it and just embrace it. I'm know? curious too. I mean, this must be because it has this soap element, uh, a highly serialized story. Yeah. So how do you pitch that? 
Well, you say, and you know, these are the types of things that you know are going to happen in the future. I mean, it's weird. It was. Um, I was really trying to not overwhelm them with information because yeah, right. I can just get adrenalized and ramble. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a, a, a lot of writers um, tend to do that when they pitch when because it, they're excited about it yeah. and they want you to know all the cool things that you're going to do. And I think you need to, you know, at some point you need, because I, I literally remember at the end of it, I'm going, and I turn to the universal guy, I go, should I tell him about that? Like, don't tell him about it. Just, just leave that. Like, you're not, you know, I go, but it's so cool, the guy in the basement. You know, and they're like, we don't need the basement for the pitch. Like, it's okay. Yeah, it's well, not there, the guy in the basement's pitch. Yeah, there's always that tendency to want to offload everything you know, but in yeah. terms of getting them engaged, it's better to get them going, oh, well, what happens next? Yeah. Because yeah. then that's why they want to buy it, it's to find advice. out what happens next. Yeah. You know, so I always try and, like, you know, there's always that tricky balance in, in a pitch between, like, how much of the pilot story do you give them? I'm totally you know. calling both of you before um, I pitch. That's all <laughs> I know. But I always try and, like, leave off, like, shortly after the act break. Not tell them the ending. Mm. Like, what happens really? when... Bu- 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 it's, you know, we'll save that for one. I mean, it's different. Right, Comedy's yeah. totally Comedy, different. You, you gotta totally pay to find that. Totally yeah, yeah. yeah, when you give me money, <laughs> I'll tell you. I know how you can find out. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, but yeah. I, I, look, I've done them different mm-hmm. in many different ways, and and I I don't know that this was my it wasn't probably my best pitch, but um, but uh, you know there was but a, it worked. there was an idea right. in there somewhere. You know, yeah. and I, at some point yeah. I said the words "time traveler's wife," and someone went, "Oh." Yeah, and then I was like, "Oh, I'm in. I'm good." <laughs> now I've never seen Time Traveler's Wife. I yeah. read half the book. Right, you know, you whatever. get it. I get it. I'm just like, it's a romance and it's epic and ca- you know whatever. Like you use the adjectives until you find one that works, and and then you just, then you drive right. down that street. Um, well, I want to I want to come back and talk about some of the feature stuff, but I want to move back to Catherine for a minute just to talk about. Um, so you you are now gearing up to pitch your own stuff to write your own stuff. Yeah. Uh, how long has it been? It's been, I mean, it's been a while. I, I think I've been, I think actually I'm I'm right at the anniversary of like, it's been about eight years that I've been getting paid. So, I mean, it's for, That's what amazing. I mean, it's, it's not been, I mean, you guys have been doing this for, for a long time and, and have done such amazing things. And I always feel so lucky to be included in this because it's like, <laughs> I'm the, the new, like, I don't know. I mean, don't I def- get, it's not new kid after eight years. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that was definitely the realization of this year was the, the kind of like, oh, I guess. I mean, literally, like, I guess this is a career now. I guess this this thing yeah. worked out. Um, <laughs> now I'll be fired tomorrow. But um, no, on your second day. Yeah, that, that would be. Actually, I had one job that I only worked two days, so what? Um, I can do anything. Um, <laughs> but actually, last time we talked, you were saying you knew Mob Doctor was ending, and I think you said. I better get something else really quick, otherwise I have to write something. Yeah, no, and it was really funny because I I uh, met on a couple things and it didn't look like anything was going to work out. And then I went to Hawaii, which was awesome. And then I came back and it was literally like, like four days later, and I like had was in the same pair of pajamas and I was the ball of self. I was like, I hate myself. This is terrible. I'm, I have to write something. And then literally my agents called and were like, Hey, guess what? You're getting a job. So it rescued me from my, from myself. Um, no, but I mean, I, I think for me, I've had the experience of, of bouncing around and working a lot of jobs and that has kept me from developing because it, now when you're, most of these contracts you sign the first year. Yeah. Sometimes I'm hearing now. Sometimes for the first two years you can't develop. Mm. So, um, it, but I actually looked at that as a good thing because I, I because I've worked on you know a fair amount of shows. I've seen so many different pairings. I've seen people. Mm. I've seen people um, get shows maybe before they were ready. I've seen people get shows and get paired with people. You know, I think a lot of times um, the people that you get paired with. 
it, it can be a great relationship or it can be people who really wish they had their own show and have sort of been tasked with supervising people and um, I just always felt like I wanted to make sure that by the time I was developing, I either had complete control, which I knew for me meant that I needed to know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think some people are very capable of blustering their way through. You know, you work for someone like Matt Weiner, and, and it's like he he's someone that it wouldn't have mattered where he was in his career. If he had been given, <laughs> given the job of showrunner, he would have just grabbed that and run with it and done it and done a fabulous job. I'm not that person. I'm that person that if I know what I'm doing, then fuck you, get out of my way. I'm going to fight the battle. But but if, if you're throwing stuff at me that I don't understand, I'm probably going to back down. So I knew that I really needed to know what I was doing and sort of know enough people that I could fight for right. the, the mm -hmm. you know, if I, if I do get paired with someone to make sure that it's a good pairing. Sure. And and um, so, I yeah, I feel like now I've sort of had a couple jobs where I just worked for incredible people and they really taught me how to produce. They taught me how to, they taught me how to do so much of what I need to do. And so I think this is going to be a great place for me to sort of, be able to get back to going because you know you have some of these jobs where it's like I, I mean I haven't been in a room for a year um, mm -hmm. which is a for long sure. time to not be in a room um, I haven't been on set for like a year and a half mm. two years wow. um, and those are things for me that it's just a muscle I think mm -hmm. you have to exercise that muscle and so I'm excited to go and do that and then yeah I think uh, I'll I'll because the show is only 13 episodes, it works out perfectly because it'll end around July, which is selling season, or so people tell me. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that'll sort of just line up perfectly with being able to go out for the first time. And I, I'm surprised at how excited I am. I mean, like, I'm getting... I, I, I'm not a big idea person. I, I'm sort of like... I always thought it, it was so exciting to work on other people's shows because they create these playgrounds that are amazing and then I get to go play in them. And it's always been a little intimidating to create my own playground. But it's been really fun. Like, every time I watch or read something now, I'm like, oh, maybe I could do this. And <laughs> I'm just keeping a file of uh, of ideas and I'm really excited to... I mean, all this stuff you guys are talking about, I, I haven't done that yet. I haven't had the pitches. I haven't juggled the food with the pitching. You know, I just, <laughs> I just struggled with the food with the, like, please hire me. So I think it'll be great. And I think I've done it hopefully long enough that I, I understand it's going to be mm -hmm. a process. You know, I'm hoping I can sell something this year and, and go through that part of it, you know. and But I, I, I'm not someone that expects, like, I'm going to have a show on the air next year I, and it, that's fine like I just love every step of the, the yeah, yeah every every step of the way you're learning more you're making relationships you're figuring out the people you want to work with um, that's almost too healthy I, yeah. it's insane I shouldn't be a writer really <laughs> but um, but I, I wonder about uh, I, I, we have not worked together but I have no doubt that you are great in a room tell the world <laughs> <laughs> I think I just did yeah. um but I would imagine there's a difference in from uh, pitching in the room to pitching your own concept. I would, I would imagine. I mean, I, you you guys would know better than me. I mean, I, I do think at least I, I'm comfortable in a room, and I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. I think that'll give me a, a a better comfort level. But I have no. I mean, a couple times that I've had to go in and pitch, um, like for freelances and stuff. Which at the beginning of my career, I got to do a few times. It was mm -hmm. sort of like friends taking mercy on me and being like. Come, come pitch to this show. Um, and also I've had some showrunner meetings where they want me to pitch. And um, I'm, which... You know, it was weird, and but I, I'm pr I'm good on the fly, and but I remember doing those those first pitch meetings, and it was like I set the bar so low. The first one, I was like, if I don't puke, faint, yeah. or like fart in this meeting, I'm gonna call it a win. And so I'm sure I'll be terrified, and I will absolutely be calling on anyone who will will help. That's fine. Talk me through. Yeah, Jeff already. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be at his door, like shaking. Please help me. But no, I'm really excited. I think I think. Um, 
Yeah, it's just I, I've, I'm lucky that I've gotten to have a lot of different experiences and walk into a lot of different rooms with different people. And I think that while it will be a whole new thing, I, I think it's exciting. I mean, I, I really want to do my own material. It took me a long time to sort of be able to comfortably say that, I think, because there's such amazing people you work with in this business and, and, and so many people that create such original, amazing stuff that I feel like... I could never think of, but I think I just have to trust what I can do well, which I think for me is character. And then it's, and then it's figuring out how to put that in an interesting world. And, um, you know, we'll see if I can do it, but it's, it's an exciting new phase for me, I think. And I'm really grateful for all that I've learned working on all these different shows and, yeah, I think you'll you, you'll have sort of a unique perspective uh, because you've had all these yeah, varied experiences, so. and I want to be, cool. be a showrunner. Like mm-hmm. I want to man, I, you know, I've just I've worked for those showrunners that um, that probably sh- they're really good at one thing or they're really mm-hmm. good at a couple things, and and not that I think I'd be great at all of it, but I think that I understand I want it to be about all of it. Like I want to, I, I love what you're talking about about being involved with the actors, you know, being involved with your writers. I want a room where everyone is contributing and and where everyone feels like they're part of the process. And you know, I I I think a lot of times I've talked to a lot of showrunners where it's you you hire people who sometimes aren't great at their jobs and then i think it becomes the you know they've told me it's hard to invest and trust those people because you're just going to end up doing the double the work and and i see that a lot of times and i find it very frustrating for me because i see maybe some other people aren't really they're they're not going to do give 100% and so then i'm not being allowed to give 100% because the showrunner would rather just do it once themselves and so i'm excited about hopefully um, get you know gathering people and i'm sure i'll be incredibly frustrated and have to have such a growth process with all that but i know that i want part of what i do to be about showrunning not just about writing the most ama- you know writing this thing that I'm super excited about I want it to be that but I want to really have a product that I'm proud of and that includes for me the whole the whole process because I know what it feels like to work on a show the shows that have been great experiences for me it has been less about the material and more about the fact that we all we're all contributing we're all collaborating mm-hmm. we're all proud of what we're doing and that's I don't know that's what I yeah. hope I get to do do you, and I, I think we will, won't convene again until well after her show has sold. <laughs> probably picked up. Uh, do you guys have some advice right now? Please. Pitching advice? For, uh, yeah, pitching. Or even, oh. honestly, even show running advice, because she'll need it. Hells yeah. <laughs> okay, pitching. Uh, I mean, I, again, you, most of my experience comes from a world that is somehow comedy or comedy adjacent. But but I have a theory about pitching, which is that um, I always, when I go into the meeting, I'm aware that I'm, I hate to put it in these terms, but it is a sell, right? Mm-hmm. You're not just selling the show, but you're selling yourself as the showrunner and as the person who is uniquely qualified to bring this vision to the screen. And so I always try and make sure that what I put across in the pitch is, this is a story that I am uniquely qualified to tell. Mm-hmm. And you can believe in me as the person who can carry the banner of this show. And so I always try in a pitch to relate it to my own personal experience and or relate it to something emergent in the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And every successful pitch that I've done has featured both of those elements (laughs) where somehow I'm able to marry an idea. I mean... For example. For example. Okay, this Showtime show that I did, which I think is the most sophisticated and well thought out pitch I've ever done. It's about the marriage in the middle. So I've never, I said, all stories about marriage are about getting in or getting out. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to do, a, I've been married 20 years. I said, I want to do a story about what it takes to sustain it. 
which on the face of it doesn't sound terrifically dramatic, but if you ask anybody who's been married any substantial period of time, it's incredibly dramatic. And so I said, I want to do a story about that. Now, I've just answered both of the questions mm-hmm. that I posed. It's something emergent. Everyone is dealing with this. It's not currently on TV in a lot of ways. I would say the last show to really look at it was Friday Night right. Lights. <laughs> To look at like the, what it takes to stay married mm-hmm. to somebody under difficult circumstances. And, of course, I'm living it myself, as many of us are. And so that was the nut of the pitch. And then I used it to talk about each, each of the characters who had been married for a certain period of time and how each of their marriages was a bit of a struggle. And in one way or another, they're not getting exactly the relationship they thought they would get when they got into this and so forth. And that was the jumping-off point for exploring all the characters. But the first thing that I put across is believe in me and believe in my vision for this show um and so that's thing one and then thing two is the trick of transitioning from writing to show running which is either incredibly obvious or may not be obvious at all is that you are more of the debate captain than you are Mm -hmm. like the answer girl right you know and the thing that i think a lot of writers struggle with when they make that transition is you're accustomed when you sit down with the script of being the one with the answers or if you're on staff you're accustomed to being the one who shouts out the right answer right. or has the killer pitch or answers the question or puts the card on the board and as a showrunner you're really more managing the flow of discussion and if you are coming up with too many of the answers you're not doing it right And so I think the guys and girls who do it the best are the ones who are able to keep the vision of the show Mm -hmm. in their head, even as they are marshalling all the forces at their disposal Mm -hmm. to realize that vision. I always, you know, I think I was far from the funniest person in the Will and Grace room. Far from it. I would say in a group of 12, I was maybe number 11 or 12. But I was really good at drawing on the talents of everybody in that room Mm -hmm. and making sure that the show was something, as you said, something we all felt attached to, we all believed in, we all felt belonged to us in some way, and we all felt reflected our own experience and was funny. Mm -hmm. So it's a tricky transition, and not everyone can do it because it's an entirely different set of muscles. Well, Um, and how hard is that balance between having a clear vision but also being open to that flow because I feel like I've I've worked for people that they just want to do it themselves and that I, it doesn't work for me and but then I've also worked for people where it's like they almost feel like they're so open that it's kind of like who's steering the ship you've just articulated it it's a balance <laughs> this is something you've definitely talked about uh, I've talked about the room. yeah and I don't know you know, I, I, I don't know that I could speak as to whether I did a good job or not doing a good job about it. I would say I was pretty high control creatively. I mean, I have not probably Matt Weiner, con, you know, high control, but but I mean, I, you know, he would say that I'm sure. But um, but uh, but um, I and we we had some very smart, you know, people, you know, in the room. Some some people who've you know turned out to be super. You know, we had writers assistants who ended up being super, are now superstars you know we yeah. have people everywhere I mean you know two guys I mean Miller and Stentz the two guys yeah. who are on are now running the new Terminator TV show that was just announced last week so, I, mean, I mean it's there you know and and that doesn't surprise me at all from the experience that I had with them at all, you know and um, you know for me it was a um, I struggled uh, emotionally more than I did anything else on the mm. show um, managing upward I was very good at managing. Uh, I, I think most of the writers and other departments would like probably would 
I would hope would say good things about their experience. Like I think, and I think everybody they, they have on this podcast. They have. We on have this had podcast. Ash here the past couple months, in fact, who has said great things. So there you go. That's good. <laughs> managing up is uh, a great, uh, a great. But I, um, but I was very bad at managing up. I was very, I was really bad with the studio. I was pretty bad with the network. I think the network. One of these I've said I was at that time the most difficult showrunner that they had at Fox, um, and they had they had some people. Um, and at Warner's, and I I burnt I, I burnt all those relationships out. I mean I I could not go back to Warner Brothers after mm. the show was done. I, they didn't. They were like life is too short. Like the current department has said life is too short to deal with him, and you know. I was just, you know, for me, I was protecting the room. Mm-hmm. That's how I was protecting the vision of the show. I was protecting mm-hmm. the room. But I fought everything. I fought everything. Everything. And I just didn't understand, you know, I, did, I didn't understand how to, I really didn't understand how to compromise with people who I thought were fucking morons. And I'm, I'm working on that. I'm sure the next time I run into a fucking moron, I will <laughs> be much nicer to them. Um, uh, see how I did that? That way the people who I am working yeah. for don't think that they're morons. Um, <laughs> It's, you know, I sympathize with it's, that. It's, it's a very hard thing to do because I don't think that I honestly don't think they're as good at it as we are. If they were, they'd be doing what we do, and, they're, and they're, so it's difficult. Well, and many of them think that they can yeah. do. Yeah, I just want them right. to be good at their job. I don't That's actually want them to be good at my yeah. job. Um, and I and I really, you know, the problem is I didn't feel like they were. Um, in terms of pitching, you know, the only thing, the thing that I've learned over the last few years about pitching. Um, is that you can't be um, embarrassed about wanting to sell something, mm-hmm. and you can't be embarrassed about the way that you do it. And I think that 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 the people that I've seen that are the most impressive at it are the ones that are, are unabashed uh, in their in the selling of it, yeah. and, and and in the in that they're not afraid to be enthusiastic. Um, and to really embrace the idea that they're there to to really, I mean, you if you can't entertain someone in the, that room for twenty minutes, you they don't want to deal with right. you. You know, yeah. I mean, you can't come in and just read the thing and and just think, well, this idea is good, and I'm a good writer, and they know I'm a good writer, and you know, it's like it really because they are buying a personality and they're and a and a passion. And I and Hart Hansen and I actually talked about this uh, when I was hanging out and working with Hart because Hart is a terrible pitcher or used to be a terrible that's what he keeps saying he is like Mr. Magoo or Columbo <laughs> he, I call him Columbo he's, like Columbo. he's Columbo he's just but, but, but he's like Columbo that he's a genius right. but he's like, he comes in at the end but yeah but he, <laughs> he turns does. in One the more door thing, right? he does, but, but Hart is like that but Hart and I uh, to, last year we were both working on our pitches we had this very long conversation where we both came to the conclusion that if you feel like you aren't a good pitcher or you feel like you're shy or you feel like you you can't get outside of yourself think this you're a writer write yourself a fucking character you can pitch That's really smart. And I write the pitch yeah. and write a write it well. Think I'm gonna write a character who's good at this job mm-hmm. and write in that character yeah. and learn it in yeah. the character. Because it's a performance. It's mm-hmm. a performance. I it, mean it's sad because this I I will not name names. But there are plenty of producers in this business who get shows on year after year solely because they're good at that part of the job. Mm-hmm. Solely because they make it seem like it's going to be a fucking party to be in business with them. I can't wait to see this thing on TV. He is seducing me into believing in this thing. There's nothing to do if it's any good. I remember I, I shared an office space at Universal when I started Universal. The guy who worked next door to me, he was in the feature department. Um, 
Uh, he was a feature writer, and he was legendary for being one of the great pitchmen in the business. And so I spent some time talking to this guy, and he would tell me about some of the great pitches of his career. And he told me the one, the one where he went in, he sold a pitch, a feature pitch. That, oh, this is all it was. They're young, they're in love, they're on their honeymoon, destination Earth. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's awesome. You know what? I'm in. Yeah. I'm now, in. the truth is, anything followed by Destination Earth. Absolutely. Fantastic. But still, a that boy, sounds... A dog. Yeah. A Destination Earth. <laughs> right. Exactly. It sounds great. But he was brilliant at encoding the pitch in a way that put across his enthusiasm and his passion. And as I said, it has nothing to do with an ability to execute. Really, at all. At all. No. no. Though... The showrunner has got to do a little bit of that with everybody in their lives. You know, they got to do it with the actors. They got to do it with the studio and the network. They got to do it with the craft services girl. They got to do it with everybody. To some extent, you have to kind of put across your vision with similar passion and infectious enthusiasm. So it's a good skill to learn. Like that character that Josh is talking about will be very useful to you. Right. Well, and how much of that is similar to me and having worked on staff? You're often selling to your showrunner. I mean, there is is it a similar kind of? I mean, there, there's there's certainly times when I've been on shows where it's just like everyone is on board in the room with an idea, and the showrunner is the reluctant one, and your job is to to make that sale or to read the the yeah yeah exactly. Well, I think except that I think when you when you're in a room pitching to someone, it's like you're selling, but you really it's not. It's really that you want to convince them that it's a seller's market, though. Like, you don't want to feel like you're right. selling, like, that you need them. Okay. You know, they need to be right. convinced that they need, they need you. It. Yeah. And so there's a there's kind of a, a conf, you know, I think there's a confidence. And it's, I mean, I honestly started writing, like, I, I one year, it was a few years ago, it was actually Charlie's Angels, which you think would be the, you're going to walk in, I had Drew Barrymore sitting on one side of me, <laughs> yeah. the creator of Charlie's Angels. Really, all I should have to do is go, Charlie's Angels, motherfucker. <laughs> and sell it. And maybe that was all I had to do, you know? But I, I, I had a practice pitch and it was a fucking disaster because it was like I had tickets, like I was like late for, wanted to go to the Lakers and all the Sony people were like, Josh, that's horrible and it took you an hour and I, you know, it's got to be 20 minutes and they're like, come on, like do something dramatic and I was like, you mean like you want me to do like, it's New York, it's raining, the camera pans down, we find three beautiful women and they went, do that! Oh, and I wow. went, I went, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I go, I'm just going to do that as an experiment. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna be yeah. as fucking dramatic. I'm gonna be goofy and dramatic yeah. for the whole fucking thing. Okay. And I went in there, and there, Steve McPherson is sitting right across, and a Drew. And by the way, I'm sure it was already sold the minute Drew, Drew Barrymore sat down across <laughs> from Steve McPherson. But I went, and I literally, and I was like, "It's New York. The camera finds three beautiful women walking in the rain, you know." And and I and I did and I and I did yeah. and and they were like. And yeah. I was in my head, I'm like, oh my god, it works! Wow. Like, and it, and and I finished. They were like, oh, right, yeah, we'll do that. You know. Wow. It's isn't that funny? And it's a perfect. And I felt oh. goofy. I felt yeah. goofy. Yeah. But it's so they, unnatural. The thing is, is like, if you go in with some sort of ironic distance or some sort of meta mm-hmm. idea or some sort of aw shucks, we're all just here and isn't it kind of embarrassing? That comes across. Right. They don't want that. They don't want you to have an ounce of irony in you. Mm-hmm. You have to you come know, in there, the most earnest motherfucker on the planet, well, and, that's and excited to be there. Yeah. I was interested to hear that you know you. You're kind of gathering ideas, and 
you know, the thing we always hear is pitch that thing that you're passionate about because that's when these things naturally yeah, come yeah. out. Uh, do you have that thing? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because I, I think that's part of what's been intimidating because you, you hear that and, and the, the pilot that I wrote that I had the most success with was something that, that that's still what oh, yeah, I... Yeah, you and I talked about this. I remember you telling me that. Yeah, I mean, this is what I... the, the This pilot is what I want to do, but it's it's got to be on cable and it's right. it's... I, I am not going to be able to do that yet, you know. So, um, so that is part of what's always intimidating to me. But then it's like, you know, you, you talk to these guys, and it's like they they're selling stuff every year. It, it can't just be that we all have one thing or two things, you know. So, so part of what has been interesting for me so far is is that kind of going through this process is is um I'm I'm amazed at how many things now that I'm thinking about it are spurring like oh I could do my take on this and I could do my take on that and I I mean I think what I'll be doing over the next few months is sort of distilling it down and saying these are the few that are the most interesting to me and mm-hmm. here's my take on them and then be you know I think my agents want to be involved in the process yeah. since it's the first time and and I'll meet with pods and all those things so I think for me I mean when I work on a television show on someone else's vision, what it is for me is just I have to find my take on it. You know, what can I bring to it? And so I think maybe it'll be a similar thing. I hope that's okay alongside those passion projects that, you know, because I, I know certainly from working on Mad Men, it was like Mad Men for Matt was the thing that he wrote as a spec, and then he did a bunch of other things, including The Sopranos, which it doesn't get much better than that, and then you come back to it. And I feel like maybe that's a career trajectory that I'll have as well, is that I have this thing I know one day I want to do, but I'm probably going to have to do some other things first. And that'll probably be good, because then the thing I really want to do... I will be better. Mm-hmm. I'll be better equipped to do it. I hope. I mean, I don't know. Is that how? I mean, you guys can speak to that a lot better than me. You've all you both developed a lot of different things. I think it's got to be the thing that you're most enthusiastic about at the end of the day. Right. You know, I I have I had the, the worst experience of my professional career was the show that I sold the easiest, um, because it was a show that had a really snappy one-liner, but there was no series there, mm-hmm. and it's it's a long, boring story. But but my then partner and I sold the show to the Fox Network based on a one-line pitch. They gave us thirteen on the air. It was wow. the worst thing that ever happened. To us. <gasps> What was that? Oh, it was it was a show called Getting Personal, which nobody remembers. Um, uh, and the pitch was that's why. Uh, I'll tell you. Well, yeah, the pitch was um, uh, two people go on the a guy and a girl go on the world's worst blind date. By the end of the evening, neither of them wants to see each other. You never want to see each other again. Monday morning, she's his new boss. Thirteen on the air. I don't understand. I don't understand why that is. But in that particular case, at that particular time. We were coming off friends. I'm sure that didn't hurt. Um, but uh, it sounded like a show. And that is a really good pilot. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not a series. It's not a TV series. Right. It's a really punchy pilot. But what the hell is that series about? They're either going to learn to work together or they're going to sleep together or one or the other. By the end of the first <laughs> season. Both. Yeah, they'll probably have done both. And then what is the series? Right. You know, and... But this thing developed this crazy momentum, and I found myself in a circumstance that I swear to God I will never find myself in again, which is sitting at the end of a table with 12 writers looking at me, and I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing, which is the worst thing. And so it's why I am super rigorous with myself before I go in and pitch that I need to know what the series is. It doesn't mean I know what episode 100 is, but I know what the gas in the tank is and what makes the thing go and what... What who these characters are and what my universe is, I know those things because I never want to be in that circumstance again. It nearly killed me, no joke. 
Like, I had what I thought was the fatal heart attack during the making wow. of that show. Jeez. It broke up my partnership with my, you wow, know, yeah. with one of my, you know, with a guy who was my best friend. We didn't talk for two years. Like, it was a disaster in every conceivable <laughs> respect. Except in one respect, which is that everyone who worked on the show together is still really close friends. I don't know why. All of us. We all love Burned each other. Burned in fire together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. but, but it was a terrible experience. But don't you think, and I, I, at least maybe, I, I think this is true in drama in many, in more so now than ever, which is that problem. Which is, I think, mm-hmm. that drama's kind of the the big noisy idea yep. has become like it in features. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's got a decent shot of ruining what's left of network TV there is to ruin. The disposable um, hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's yeah. been going for about five years now. And I mean, it's, it's, it's all Lost's mm-hmm. fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and frankly, The Walking Dead. Uh, I think is going to. I mean, the walk. It, it was like when Tarantino made. You know, I think it was either Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. and it made a hundred million dollars, and went, "Oh, right. independent film can make money. Oh, if we just have some sunglasses this, and a skinny right. top, yeah. and, <laughs> right. and it was like, and then you had four hundred of those fucking movies right. show it, and it just destroyed independent. Yeah. You know, it made. I mean, yes, I mean it made it, and it also destroyed it. And there's you know these big ideas that are kind of the noisy ideas, yeah. Um, which which are it's also the influx of feature writers, yeah. you know, coming in with like Damn busted feature busted yeah. feature scripts and like oh I'll take the first act of my feature and make it a pilot, and you know it's a danger. I mean, yeah. and, and you end up with a lot of shitty, you know, a lot of big noisy shitty pilots. That's part or of or the what... pilot is good, but that's shitty yeah. shows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of yeah. bad there's, shows. There's no, there's no gas. That's, that's show, definitely yeah. part of what is scary to me about developing is because I'm not. What I love about The Walking Dead is that oh my god, zombies are attacking, and so now we get to deal with what moral lines do you cross? What are you willing to sacrifice? What genre for me is just a way to dress up my sure. character drama. And it, it, so that's intimidating to me about pitching because I don't, I feel like I don't usually have the big idea. Like I, as I've said to Jeff before, I want to write Parenthood. I want to yeah. write Friday Night Lights. You know, the thing that I want to do is just very much, it's just about a particular world that's not a supernatural world and what it's like to live in that world that most of us haven't ever yeah, seen well, on television. You know how you sell that. Please tell me. Put a zombie in Parenthood it. was based on a movie. Parenthood <laughs> yeah. was based yeah. on a movie. Yeah, it's I mean, that's the thing. You yeah. look at the development reports that go across mm-hmm. Deadline or Hollywood Reporter. They're all, it was based on a Modern Love article in the New York Times. It was based on a, you know, based on a novel. It was based on a, it gives the executives confidence. Com- yeah. And so they can, you know, it's that or, old, that old line. Or the personal that's, story. Yeah, or like, the per- yes, yeah. that's right. But it's that but thing. But the unusual personal. Yeah, story. but I mean, it, yeah, I mean, yeah. we're seeing this more and more. You know, the Goldbergs. It's based on yeah. his family. You know, right. it's you know how many versions. Listen, we did the first version of Partners, but how many yeah. times are people going to sell? Right. It's about writing yeah. partners. I, I, I tried to last year. Yeah. I do yeah. think yeah. comedies get it. they get more. You can still sell a comedy that's like about a crazy marriage or about right. your parents getting divorced, and I agree with Josh right now in network drama. That's not on the air. I mean, I I always say Parenthood and Good Wife right now are the only two network dramas that are about... Yeah, forgive me for saying this, but like real people, you know yeah. that that, Human that yeah, yeah. And, and and it doesn't mean the other shows can't be great. I mean, I, I sure. there's other network shows that are really fun to watch, but they're not they're not grounded in a reality of you know there's yeah you, you just watch these certain shows like I, I remember not to throw Nashville out there, but like I remember watching Nashville last year a little bit, and there was a story about a character who's 
mother was addicted to drugs. Oh, and yeah. it was like that that I knew where I wanted that story to go and what I wanted to see. And I wanted to really feel like, oh, my God, what would it feel like for your mom to be addicted to drugs? And there was some of that in there, which was great. I mean, Nashville has great writers and great actors. And there mm-hmm. was some of that. But at the end of that storyline, it became about the character Oh murdering God. someone, faking her own death to, you know, and it they was just like it to be more like Desperate Housewives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Desperate Housewives ruined ABC. That's in correct. The same way, no, yes. the, the successful the way these successful shows become yeah. these huge elephants that just tromp all over these networks. Yeah, and as they chase that high, that they aren't going to get that right. way. And, and, and the good news is we're getting fewer and fewer successful shows. It's a no, but you're right. The thing is, those two shows were such outliers. Desperate Housewives mm-hmm. and Lost were yeah. such outliers, and they have been trying to knock off those shows yeah. one way or another yeah. ever since. I mean, the Desperate Housewives pilot is one of the finest pilot scripts I've ever read. Yeah. It took more than three years to write. It went through a lot of development before it did, but it was a perfectly realized universe and a hybridization of a couple of different forms that had never quite been hybridized in that way before. Lost, you know... Uh, same kind of thing. It yeah. was it was a crazy hybrid of a couple of different genres. And we all know the story. Yeah. Nobody yeah. believed in that pilot. And um, it was a great character drama. I mean, again, yes. that's why I watched Lost. Was that yeah. you were you were using all the trappings to tell these great character stories about morally ambiguous characters. There weren't good guys and bad. I mean, there were, but there weren't. There and 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 I yeah. I feel like network often takes the wrong lesson. Like the yeah. lesson is it was the island. Was Put them on the island, and it's like yeah. no. Maybe the lesson was write fully realized characters <laughs> that are you know doing things that are ambiguous and interacting in interesting ways. You can see how hard those are to, even as you're saying it, you can see how hard those are to sell. Absolutely. I mean, I, I get it. It just... It, Will you it, practice it just... pitch on air for us? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Right now, I'll back and do it. No, you come back and do it. Um, I do want to ask you guys about two more things before we wrap up. Uh, you brought up The Walking Dead, and I think The Walking Dead is an interesting story from this year. Are you are you guys all watching? I have not seen that show. You have... I've seen it all. Okay, and you've seen it all. Yep. Don't spoil anything. Um, I understand there's zombies. We're going to spoil a few things. <laughs> all right. I don't know. We probably all right. Um, He's not going to watch. I might. I might. Four years before you okay. catch Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, why do you think The Walking Dead is the success that it is? I, I honestly, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I really, well, first of all, I'll say this. It was a fantastic pilot. Mm-hmm. The first ten minutes of that show sound design of the first 10 minutes of that show silence mm. you know that was so compelling I hate horror I don't oh, like really? oh hate it I don't I've never I don't see any scary movies I don't I don't I won't watch them at home I won't watch them in theater I won't read anything this is scary. very unexpected news I, know. <laughs> I don't I don't like it at all I don't like to be scared I don't like gross things at all but I will watch that show which is both scary and disgusting which is amazing it's, yeah. and, I mean and you're I, not and the so audience that, for it. I, that is in a weird way the success which is yeah. that it's, yeah. it's found uh, you know it's it's found 15 million people a week to watch show. now there are a lot of horror show, you know people but it's found the other people right you know and it was it had a baseline audience it had a baseline audience but but that it was written well and they respect the material and they respect the audience and they've they they they, look sometimes that show's boring as fuck i mean it's you know that season two whatever was that season two on the farm was that what it was when they just said no two or three two or three i can't remember season season two yeah oh my god i mean i almost lost me i'm like oh my god they're gonna be on the fucking farm the whole year (laughs) and i you know and and you know and it it, but it did pay off when you stuck with it. Like, mm-hmm. they actually stuck the landing, which I didn't yeah. think they could do. And I was like, okay, I'll give you another season for sticking the landing at the end of season two. But I don't know. But I don't know why. I really, I mean. 
I know why as a writer I like it, but I, I mean I, I don't know why yeah, I, I, I don't understand what because sometimes sometimes there are stuff that is pitched and you're like, that is not gonna work and it doesn't work. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I can nail that, but mm-hmm. I can almost never nail what's really gonna work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know for why sure. people watch what they what they watch, but I for me what I like about Walking Dead and, and I came I came into it late, which is what I always do. I, they pile up on my TiVo, and then, like, for two weeks, right. I didn't sleep because I watched every Walking Dead. And I'm so upset now because I this is the first year I watched it as it aired, and I didn't I didn't know they did a mid-season break. I'm really... I can't believe I, that I have to wait till February. But, I, I mean, for me, especially working in some of the kinds of shows that I work in, it's really all those things you were talking about the silence the 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 complexity of the characters my favorite episodes are um sort of i think their version of bottle episodes where they take two characters that aren't normally together and put them in a new location mm-hmm. and it's like there was one uh, third season that was uh, a bunch of it was uh Carl the 14 year old and Michonne uh, who was a character we didn't know very well at that point, and I had barely done scenes together, and just I, I love that they they take chances, they they swing for the fences, they miss sometimes. There are bad episodes of that show, and then there are brilliant episodes of that show. They go so dark that I can't even I, I can't even fathom some of the the things that they do. Um, and I just love I, I think. You know, network television is never going to have the same kind of freedom that cable has. So that, for me, it's it's really cathartic to watch that and go, like, what's the darkest or most fucked up or craziest place I could think to go to? And, oh, my God, they're going to get to go there. They're going to get to... You know, you don't just kill someone on The Walking Dead. You kill them, and then they come back as a zombie, and then you have to kill them again, or they're gonna kill your sister. You know, it's like it's just it. I like I said, I just love character, and and that show is not perfect. No show is perfect, but you get to watch um, real people grapple with real. I mean, it's, it's a zombie show, but but real human emotion mm. and and sort of the lines that we will and won't cross. And interesting. Um, that's what I love about it. I don't know what the rest of America loves about it, but I like that it's drawing these huge audiences and I like that through all these different showrunners they have stayed through the material and done like continue to try to tell really human stories all right, I'm I'm gonna crack it by the end of next year. Uh, this, this is the goal. If you figure it out, then start you can asking sell people. your version. And uh. <laughs> well, I've been really I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and it, it makes no sense to me. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you guys about is what are you watching besides The Walking Dead? Uh, this has been a good year for TV. Breaking Bad ended. Yeah, I can't I say that anymore. <laughs> uh, that was always the answer to what are you watching. Yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad ended and they stuck the landing. Yep, I agree. Um, and uh, I feel like it's been talked to death. Do you guys have any thoughts on Breaking Bad I feel that like haven't been said? Uh, I, I don't go, think there's anything left. I now want to go back to the beginning and watch it over again. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, give I myself a few minutes before I can do that because um, I think it's going to be interesting to just take a look at how the machine was put together. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think it's a, it was a beautifully realized finale and very, very satisfying, but I just want to look at how he got there. Yeah, I, I sort of didn't, like, I'm a bad television writer because I haven't really watched Breaking Bad that much. And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, I will binge watch it. I will yeah. shut myself in my house for two weeks and, and watch the whole thing because um, somehow... I just let it pile up too much, and I didn't watch it. And it's like an embarrassing secret in writers' rooms. <laughs> like, I, it's like I have to. It's like you're in Alcoholics Anonymous. You're like, hi, my name is Catherine. I don't watch Breaking yeah. Bad, but I swear I'm a good writer. Uh, and it's right up your alley too. Like, uh, yeah, I know. I will love, and I like Vince. Yeah. I love Vince. Time. He's amazing. I have friends that write on that staff. That it, I just, it just kind of slipped through the cracks because 
I don't know. I don't know how. So I'm excited to go and watch it all. Um, so what are you guys watching? Was there new stuff that came out this year that got you excited? There was a lot of good stuff at the beginning of the year, um, which I will bring up if you don't. But what 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 got you guys excited That's this hard year? Hard to remember. I just. I just went because I just had a month off, so I watched a bunch. I and I what I, I was blown. I just watched Broadchurch, which I thought was really amazing. Great, right? I just started The Returned. I, I haven't. I'm not caught up on that. I just started too. I really like it. That though. yeah, that seemed amazing. Um, I watched. What else did I watch? Um, haven't watched Masters of Sex yet. I've, I'm, I've watched all of Masters of Sex. Are you I'm enjoying really, it? I, like I am it. enjoying it. I I am constantly. Um, confused by whether or not I'm supposed to have sex afterwards. <laughs> From uh, what I understand, did you tell me this? Someone else told me this. Um, I don't think I told you that. They, after the first couple of episodes, they purposely started using not unattractive, but not actory, good-looking mm. uh, actors for all of the sex people. Oh, okay. oh I, didn't, I definitely didn't tell you this. But, well, they're still using Lizzie Kaplan. Well, sure. So, um... But I, I, I yeah, because I mean, I, 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 and I, I always feel very weird afterwards. I'm kind of like, I'm like, well, there was a lot of sex in there. Yeah. I do like the way they depicted that. And then, but those relationships are so depressing, you know? And I'm like, so what I don't, I sometimes, which I, I just, I like that it makes me feel weird and, and yeah, weird, you know, like it's, it's an unusual weird. show. It's an unusual way. show. And I, and I think they're doing, um, so my only criticism of it, uh, is in some ways I think it's and it's my it's the opposite of a criticism I have like of like Game of Thrones like it's the opposite problem I have again. sometimes I think it's almost too thematically unified where I see the theme of the week you That's know funny. in all yeah. three stories yeah. and I just watch it be whereas like on Game of Thrones there's, I feel like right. they're, they're, yeah. they're just like okay with chapter seven <laughs> you know it's very controlled it could be a little messier yeah, yeah it yeah. could be a little messier but um, but I think the performances are great Absolutely. and it's unflinching in terms of like the likability versus unlikability of characters. I mean, mm-hmm. he he's just a prick, and he's been a prick for all nine episodes or whatever I've watched. Yeah. I mean, I, I and and it's you know I commend them on that. You know, it's I cool. don't have a lot of shows right now. I loved Eastbound and Down. I thought that was a beautifully oh, realized you're ending. How great that I was. just love that show. I just is that all the way over? Yeah, yeah, it's all the way right. over. And they did a beautifully done finale too. It was a pretty perfect finale. I heard people show. were very happy with it. I, I thought it was. I think it's a terribly underrated comedy, but maybe it speaks to whether you dig Danny McBride or not. I, I happen to, I like and uh, I enjoyed that a lot. I thought this was a good year for Game of Thrones, but this was a year for me seeing pilots going, ah, no, don't need any more to that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I. it's funny. I loved the Masters of Sex pilot. I really enjoyed it. I didn't feel compelled to come back for other episodes. Same with the Americans. I hate to say uh, that. You know, both of like, took I, me a long I time. I watched the back. Americans. I was like, that was a nice pilot. Okay. I'm gonna it go. grows. They both it, grow on yeah. it, I think. They both have unlikable, kind of cold... Yeah, you know, and yeah. but I think I've watched. I think those are maybe my two favorite. Yeah, new so shows. I probably need to go yeah. back and. I'm like commit. halfway through the Americans, and I think every episode, like the last one I watched, I was like, "Oh, that's the best episode." Yeah. Yeah. Each it's, is better. It's than getting better. It really yeah. learns and it gets better, yeah. or you learn how to watch it, or whatever. You know, yeah. I, I think maybe that's, that's what it is. And they also, it's another cast that you're just with. Like they're yeah. so good. Yeah, well, and, and but she, you know, I, it, but it was one of those things where the pilot went, "Oh, it's good," but you know, she's working really hard to be a bad, you know, yeah. like cold and tough, and she, you know. You know, she warms to the role more, and you yeah. feel, and you warm to her performance. Yeah. Right. I think that's a show that just. It, I'm really excited for it to come back. But yeah. I, yeah, I think those are probably. And there's yeah. shows that are trying something. I mean, in the yes. same way that Breaking Bad did, and that, and people responded. And the same to the Walking Dead does to a degree. You know, yeah. but I, you know, Breaking Bad, and I, not to. <laughs> 
This will be the final word on this. This is this was my own personal experience. This is just maybe goes back to pitching. I'm going to try to unify a unified field theory of mm-hmm. podcasts, which is that sometimes you know an idea is not like you you can discard an idea very easily, and it really is what you bring to the idea that makes it beautiful. I, I was shooting the Sarah Connor pilot uh, in Albuquerque, and we wrapped. And there's only really one residence in in Albuquerque. And as we were leaving, Breaking Bad was pilot was moving mm-hmm. in. And David Nutter, who shot Sarah Connor pilot, used to work with Vince on X Files. Right. And so the last day we were there, I mean, literally, I walked downstairs, and David and Vince were having breakfast. Hmm. And I'd never met Vince before, and so David called me over and I met them. And I said, "Oh, he goes, oh, we're taking over your your hotel room." So I thought, "Oh, that's <laughs> funny." I like, "What do you?" what are you doing? <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, you know, right. he said, I'm doing the show. It's called breaking bad. And he pitched it to me. And in my head, I thought, that's a silly little show. Like, what right. the fuck is that? Yeah. Like, I like, and I, you know what I thought? Absolutely. I thought, I thought I've seen weeds. Yeah. I like weeds. That's what everybody I, yeah. I've liked weeds. Me too. Is Vince Gilligan going to make, like, he's just going to make, is he going to make a home fries? Like, what's he making here? <laughs> right. Like, what, is he going to make some quirky yeah. little, and like, not in like, oh, he couldn't do it, whatever, but right. just in your head. You can't you conceive hear, of it. You can't conceive yeah. that that's what's going on, yeah. and that's what's going to come out. You know, so I mean, it, it's like. That's right. Well, and I'll also, I mean, to even take that idea further, because I've been reading a ton of pilots as I try to, to pitch and mm. to figure all that stuff out, and it's like, I. You read a pilot like The Sopranos, and I'm like, I read that one recently again, and I was laughing out loud in my office like a crazy person. Like, that's a fucking brilliant pilot, and those characters are there, and they're complete, and it's it's just unlike anything you, you read. Hmm. I read Breaking Bad, and I was like, it's fine. Like, it's a, it's, it's a right. good pilot, but that pilot does not... you don't read that pilot even. I mean, I think it's just akin to what you're saying. You hear the pitch, you read the pilot, you're like, oh, this is good, this is really interesting. And it's borne out by the way that show was watched because I was on Mad Men, um, the whatever season I was on Mad Men, Breaking Bad was a season or two earlier, Mm -hmm. and Mad Men was all anyone was talking about. And, like, I remember, because AMC, you get, they do premieres and you get to do all that fun stuff that you don't do in network anymore. And so uh, we would go to all the Breaking Bad premieres and we'd watch all the stuff. and, And it was like... It was it was a, a slow show. It was no one was really talking about it yet. It sort of was slowly gaining momentum, and then now the way I hear people start to talk about it, and I didn't, I didn't, I will go back and watch it all, but I really stopped watching after part of season three just because I got busy. But now the way people talk about it is like every episode just yeah. was better than the last, better than the last. So I find that fascinating too. Of like, it's all about this pilot and selling this pilot. But some of the shows that are my favorite shows yeah. become totally different shows. From what the pilot is, or or the pilot was just a grain of something. I mean, I think Breaking Bad was a grain of something, and it grew into yeah, this right. amazing show. And I don't know. I use that to make myself feel better about like you don't have to have so much pressure. I mean, you got to sell this pilot and you got to get it on the air. But the greatest shows, Walking Dead is an example too. That pilot is most of the characters are not in that pilot. I mean, it's just it's a totally different show from what the rest of yeah. Walking Dead is. For some, for better, some for worse, but. So I just find that interesting because it all hangs on selling that pilot, but then the show's become... Right. Yeah. It's about, well, like I said, it's about that transition from the guy who wrote the pilot to the guy who runs the show. Right. And those are yeah. very different skill sets. And the ability to... I think what Vince did masterfully was to find the strengths of that show and build on them. Yeah. Uh, and extend that show in directions. That, I mean, you find Giancarlo Esposito, and what was supposed to be a throwaway character becomes the centerpiece of a huge section of the show. You know, famously, he was going to kill off Jesse. 
Yeah. First right, season right. and changed his mind. I mean, just really good decisions on the fly as they built that series. Yeah, he's and, someone I would kill to be in a room oh with. My God. Like, to just watch how he the runs greatest. that room. Oh, come on. Stick with me. Yeah. Um, we didn't get to talk about Avatar 2. No. Things are going well? Um, yeah. Things good. are going well. You know, all I say about it is it's, you know, we're, we're breaking three movies at the same time. It's a writer's room. Jim Cameron is a showrunner, and it's a writer's room. And, you know, that's, uh, so I'm, that's right, been, you know, working with him has been fantastic. He's, the guy's a genius. And, um, and it, you know, one of the reasons I was hired to write it was because I had TV experience in writer's rooms. Huh. And he wanted people in there who knew, you know, who knew, who didn't play ball, right? Who play ball and yeah. didn't know it was a four, who weren't going to walk in and go, what do you mean? We're going to talk this out for what's well, turned out five months. We have 13 whiteboards or four and 15. Oh, and, wow. and they are often all full. Uh, we often have, you know, multiple, you know, movies. Wow. We're breaking all the movies together. Um, but my saying in the writer's room is kind of the opposite of what you were saying. When you were saying that you sell the showrunners, maybe because I don't want to, uh, is uh, my saying is always that I don't own and I don't sell. I just provide. Like, <laughs> I, I'm there to, to say, you don't like this? How about this? You don't like that? How about this? And I don't, you know, I really try not to, certainly as a writer, as opposed to when I'm a showrunner, not get too attached to any, you know, just right. like be there and say, well, what if? What if? And keep going and pivot on a dime if I have to pivot on a dime. Right. And don't, like, become all William Jennings Bryan about your ideas. Cause it's <laughs> well, and I think to clarify a little, most I, of the time when I feel like I'm selling, like, is when it's like... 2 a.m. and please buy this idea so yes. we can go home. Well, by the way, that's a bad showrunner. Uh, you shouldn't be there at 2 a.m. I've worked for a lot of different yeah, showrunners. Yeah, you shouldn't be there at 2 a.m. Yeah, no, because, yeah, the ones that, that you're in it together, it's I, I would say you're definitely not selling. You're, you're sort of saying, what do you want? What? But, and those are the great showrunners to me that can articulate. I love a showrunner that can come in and you've broken everything. And I am fine if you say, Matt Weiner was great with this. He'd be like, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. That doesn't work. This, that works. And it might be a moment. And then he'd go away and it was like, but great, now we will re-break it around this moment. And and I, I to me, that's a great showrunner because I've had so many that can just come in and be like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. What do you like? What do you not like? I don't know. Let's order lunch. You know, and you it's... You've got to be open-minded and then decisive. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's it. It's just, you, you just have to go, uh, yes. Yeah. And then live with it. Yeah. Live with it. Yeah, and trust the one of my my one of my my mentors, the guy that I'm in this business because of. He said you got to trust the process. Like oh, we will always yeah. break something. Something will always be on television. You know, we will. It, sometimes you stay up all night because you you really fucked up and you have to pull an all nighter. But it will get done. And I feel like the showrunners that are hardest for me to work for are the ones that just it might not work. I don't know if this is going to work. And it's like, I mean, that, there's validity to that at a certain point in the process and then you go left instead of right. But then, yeah, at a certain point you've committed and you you, you make it work and you trust that you have a team of people that's going to make that's it work. That's the thing. Yeah. Otherwise, what are those 10 people there for? Yeah. Right. You know, it, it, I, it's funny you say trust the process because on my first day of running my own show, I wrote on the whiteboard next to my shoulder, trust the process, <laughs> just big enough so that only I can Aww. see it. <laughs> You're adorable, yeah. all yes. of you. Yes. Um, we're going on two hours, you guys. Wow. <laughs> but we're so, so much. good at this. <laughs> we're so good at this. We're so very good. This may be a two-parter. Wow. Uh, thank you guys so much um, for doing this today and for doing this uh, the past couple of years. It's thank been really you for, fun. Oh, my God. It's a, it's a total pleasure. It's pretty awesome. Thank, thank you, you for including to, me. Yeah, and for everyone on Twitter who voted for us, I just <laughs> want to thank you. 
I feel like we weren't funny enough for Twitter. The Twitter folk. Like, I feel like they they, they got really, what they wanted. They got a little bit of Avatar. That's, that's, that's right. They had to wait till the end. Yeah, they have to listen. Oh, nice word. Yeah, it's not your first podcast, my friend. People fast forwarding. Avatar, Avatar. You know that two X setting on the iPhones? They're on two X, trying to get all the way to the end. You're just talking. What he's talking about? Friends again? Oh, I didn't get to recommend. So there's a lot of TV I'd love this year. Justified being number one. Oh yeah. But. I re I am rewatching Friends. It's because great. my wife has never seen Friends. I don't know I where it was in the nineties. Yeah, I watched it with my son. It's it great. Is it's a great, great. show. We, Not we, just the season I did, no, but all of them. All of them. We I mean, talk, we're on we season talk, eight oh. and it's still good. Yeah. We yeah. own them. We own the yeah. entire yeah. we own the yeah. whole thing. And I what I love about the whole thing is is that there's at least you know, every third episode or so, there's an extra joke that got cut for time. That's right. And so you get a joke, and my wife and I have not seen it so many times. We're onto where yeah. we're like, oh, that's new. That's yes, like you know, absolutely. like, and I, I if there's nothing better than discovering a friend's joke. <laughs> that's uh, but it, it is vital. It is funny. Those characters are so sharp. They find they you writers found something new to do every season to invigorate the show. Yeah. Uh, I really recommend anyone who wants to write comedy or really any television show it go does come, watch it. I was surprised. I hadn't seen it in ages, but my son got the Blu-ray as a gift. And nice. we started watching it together. And, of course, I wanted to see the, like, the five, you know, the season that I worked <laughs> on, the four that I wrote. Because um, you can hear me all over the laugh track. Season, <laughs> which is pretty funny. That's awesome. But watching it going forward, it's really masterfully, you know, mm-hmm. the same thing. Like, growing the show. Characters. Character. Yeah. Finding Characters. those relationships, you know. I thought the season with the zombies was weird, yeah. but you know, you get into eight or nine, that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, that, I, you talk about your mentor in this business, David Crane is the person that I learned everything from. I mean, that, Makes in sense. terms of like how to run a room and uh, and the way in which that show was built. I mean, and it really shows in, the, in that series. Uh, and the other one I, I went back and watched a whole lot of, and will actually sit down and start from episode one, is The X-Files. Oh, it's which great. also it's a great show. yeah, it's great. It feels weirdly so underrated modern. now. It kind of is. Yeah, uh, someone get Chris Carter for this. Oh, uh, thank good. you guys again. Happy New Year. Thank you, Ben Now leaving Nerdist.com. 